Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to a very special edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, ODPH Society? How are we all doing? My name is Ken M. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest this week as we are kicking off the three-year anniversary of the podcast. Now, what we're trying to do is this week, we're trying to do a little something special each and every episode. And one of our favorite guests pitched an idea a while back, and this was an absolutely great idea. So I said, you know what? Let's do this. So joining me for this episode, he is a longtime friend of the ODPH. He can talk baseball all day, every day. But he is coming in to talk something new. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show, the one and only, Ryan Bombard. Thanks a lot, man. Excited to be back. I had, first of all, I want to say I had a blast the last time I was in. I think we talked a lot of baseball, talked a little bit of UFC, and thanks to the wonderful world of uh, uh, Pad's talent of editing uh, made me look better than I deserve to I believe from a couple of uh, mistakes I made but I still had a blast and and I'm excited and so real quick we have another guest uh, with us and and so I want to back up here and talk about this idea that I came up with you know I am I'm a huge noob to the MCU and and the movies and so before quarantine and stuff I started to come up with the idea I had seen some of the movies I obviously saw Infinity War and Endgame and basically was kind of motivated because I knew okay there's some inside stuff here from past movies that I haven't seen so I went back and watched in chronological order all of the MCU movies and I happened to be talking to a good friend of mine who knows his way around the MCU uh, who's our other guest and uh, we talked about wow we should do a podcast where we talk about this and then instantly I thought of the fastest growing podcast in the 607 oh, of course kind. the uh, ODPH and I pitched the idea to Ken about from all of our different perspectives ranking all of the MCU movies and having some some fun banter about it and uh, of course the special guest is uh, my man Tim Skinner uh, joining us uh, via Skype who's he's a professor at Broom he does in fact own a Captain America shield uh, so the dude knows his uh, knows his way around the MCU Tim what's up man Hey how's it going guys good to be here And uh, this is just cool we were kind of talking off air that this the three of us go way back uh, oh yes, and and so it's just kind of neat. Uh, we actually would have started recording about half an hour ago if we didn't get caught up telling uh, old stories and and stuff like that. But I'm very excited to be here with you guys. And I know Tim and I, you know, we we talked, we, we even joked that we could have talked forever uh, about the MCU and my kind of perception of it and stuff. So I'm really excited to do this and, and be here with you guys. Oh, dude, I am super ecstatic to get you back. And let alone, we've been trying to get Tim on the show for a long time now. So this is bringing back uh, three fourths of the uh, Citadel click, as they say. So, <laughs> yes. so yes, our, our other one everybody's heard is the one and only Johnny Moose, who will be on at some point. But to get the four of us <laughs> on, uh, on Moose's schedule, of yes, course, on Moose time. Yeah. Which, if you know Excite, you know Moose time. But we are not talking Moose time today. We are talking the timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, which I'm so happy Ryan decided to jump in and get familiar with. No, no, it's funny. And I joked with you guys, and I'm hoping, you know, ODPH listeners, I hope you guys will give me some grace. All right. I am not, I do not, I've never read any of the comics. I am very late to the party here. I do want to say that I absolutely love this. Uh, love the whole MCU, and my myself and my 11-year-old son, Jack, have had a blast watching through these. So I, I'm going to have very 
uh, novice, amateurish uh, perspectives on stuff. And I am totally willing to be wrong. And that's why I'm excited to, to talk about this with you two guys that, that kind of know your stuff. Um, and don't, do not be afraid to put me in my place. Uh, uh, you know, cause ever since I've watched through all the movies, I've been trying to consume as much content. Like I've just been so into, uh, all of this. And so I, I, I'm just really looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, uh, don't feel worried about this because we're here to guide you on what is good and what is not good of the MCU. So we're going to be kind of grading you as well going over the MCU history, which I mean, to go into it, we said we're going to do a special edition of the ODPH. And obviously, Black Widow is the first one up to bat of the new phase. Whenever that is coming out, obviously, everything's C-19. It's still up in the air, but it's still good to a little recap because now that we're hearing about movie theaters possibly maybe reopening some degree, it's kind of good to kind of give a little quick refresher. So who better than to bring the professor on to talk a little MCU. So what we're going to be doing this episode is going through the order 23 through 1, our picks in chronological order of you know what we liked and what we didn't mm-hmm. of the MCU. So Ryan, since you are the first one joining the party, I'm going to let you kick off, then Tim, then me. So give us your number 23. And so also wrong. basing... I just, to, I just want to test that. I just want to say, you're wrong, Ryan. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty of opportunities. Don't worry. So so here's... I, I kind of based my criteria on the impact the movie had in the overall story, the the reaction when you first saw it, but then also like rewatchability. Mm-hmm. Like to go back, oh man, I want to go back and watch that. Or even though maybe a movie was great the first time you saw it, oh, I don't really have a desire to go back and watch it again. So I kind of took that all into effect. Now, if we're starting at 23, this is my one flub is I, full disclosure, and this is going to be basically an honorable mention at 23, is going to be Spider Man Far From Home simply because I haven't seen it. And that was the one that I missed in the whole thing. And I know I'm already batting a thousand here. Uh, with everybody, but it just in going through the whole thing, Endgame was the the climax of the series, and so once I got done with Endgame, it was like, whew, and then you digest it all and stuff, and then it clicked with me recently after I pitched the idea. It was like, oh crap, I've only seen twenty two of the movies, so I will own that. I will take whatever heat uh, I get from that, but by no means am I saying Far From Home is the twenty third best movie in the series. I'm just putting it in that slot because I didn't want to try to pretend like I knew. And put it somewhere else where when I haven't actually seen it. I've seen little parts of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. So You're being honest, which I respect. And definitely you will be hearing the criticism from the ODPA Society. Everybody that's going right now to OchoDuroParleyR.com to join in on the social media <laughs> links. Hashtag ODPH is going to definitely let you know. But 23, that you're being honest about it. So, yeah, so we'll kind of rule that one out. So, Tim, I'm going to pass the mic to you. 23, what is your pick? Okay, so 23, how, how I approached it, um, I, I have been on board since Iron Man 1, since seeing the trailer. Um, it was a Super Bowl commercial. I remember seeing it. I remember turning to my friends and going, this is going to be a sleeper, but it's going to be, like, amazing when it comes out. Like, people are going to go nuts for it. Because at first people, you know, you got to go back, like, what, like a little over 10 years now and think that, you know, Iron Man wasn't this well-known superhero at the time. Mm-hmm. He was known, um, but not known in the mainstream. Um, so looking at it overall, and that's what I love actually about uh, this particular show, is we actually get to take a look at it from the entire Infinity Saga, like really start to finish. So we can step back, and there are some picks you know, on, on the list that may go higher, may go lower as we go. I have um, 
and Ryan's going to kill me for this one because I know he loves Black Widow, but I have Iron Man number two as number 23 on my list. And the reason... Not that it, not that it was a bad movie. It just, I felt like you could kind of get away without seeing Iron Man 2 and not really missing too much of the story. That's so awesome that you say it like that because, you know, and I think that, I'll be honest with you, I think you two painted my expectations of Iron Man 2 because even when I first started getting into this, I reached out to you, Ken, through Facebook Mm -hmm. and I just said, hey, I think we were getting ready to go see like Infinity War and I said, hey, is there anything I need to, like, do I need to watch any of these other movies? Can I watch this as a standalone and, and you kind of ran through, like, oh, you want to see this. And I remember you saying, oh, Iron Man 2 isn't that good. Uh, you don't really need to even see that. You know, don't don't sweat that. And so I'll get to it later, but that's so interesting that you guys bring that up because I think that almost painted me. I actually thought Iron Man 2 ended up being way better than what I anticipated, which we'll get on that. But that's just funny that you brought that up because both of you, independently without knowing, mm-hmm. said that same thing to me, and it may have colored how I looked at everything. I will say this. Iron Man 2 is my number 22. Number okay. tw- number 23, and I, I do say this very openly, is my number one least favorite Marvel MCU movie, Thor The Dark World, 2013. See, I had that at 22. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I literally, to jump into this, with Chris Hemsworth being Thor, had no problem with him. Thor 1 was, was okay, and we'll get into that a little later. But Thor 2, it was like, all right, what are we doing here? I understand they were trying to get, uh, I believe, the people that were directing Game of Thrones at the time that stepped in from Kenneth Branagh. And I was just, like, completely bored out of my mind with this movie. I'm sorry. Like, I just really had nothing for it. And and the only thing that kind of interested me was when they had the Chris Evans cameo. Yeah, the, the the other thing that bumped it up slightly for me was at least there's a, an Infinity Stone in there. So you figure, well, it's the Infinity Saga. Okay, there's an Infinity Stone. So at least overall, I think it contributed just, and, and not by much, but just a little bit more to the overall uh, arc of the Infinity Saga. See, for me, it couldn't even redeem it. Oh my gosh, I'm off to a great start. Like, I'll get to that. I'll get to my part of that here in a little bit, but this is this is going to be funny. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> you and that in your top 5 were gonna... No, 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 no. Not <laughs> right. that not that high. Okay. But, but basically all I'll say and I'll get to it when I when I get to it in my list, but basically Dark World was in the same realm as uh Iron Man 2 where I went in anticipating that they were both going to be awful. Mhm. And then for whatever reason, I found them kind of charming, and I found some different things about them that I liked. And again, I'll get to it here in a little bit. And uh, I didn't know if you wanted to even just jump, go ahead, because you already mentioned Iron Man 2 for your Yeah, I could definitely so. jump. Yeah, I'll jump. I'll just jump into that. So Iron Man 2, 2010, debut of Black Widow, all amped up about this. And this is when Mickey Rourke was coming off The Wrestler, I believe. So he had his big resurgence, and he was supposed to be Backlash, which, if you know the comic version, uh, completely different origin, completely different everything. And honestly, it was like, okay, we're going to keep hyping this up, hyping this up, and we go Darth Maul, where you have this quote-unquote cool villain get punked out in the final 10 minutes of the film, game over, drive home safe. Did absolutely nothing. And especially with how good Iron Man 1 was, like I said, the only takeaway from this is Scarlett Johansson got introduced as Natasha Romanoff as Black Widow. That's like the only takeaway from this. I, I, yeah, I would, I, I would, I would agree with that. It seems like they took two, um, and Ryan, to fill you in uh, a little bit from the comic side, 
Um, it seems like they took two Iron Man villains. So what was known as the Crimson Dynamo, who's kind of like a Russian version of Iron Man. Um, that's the Cliff Notes edition. Um, and uh, Whiplash. And they kind of combined him, turned him into Whiplash, um, which for some, you know, that kind of, you know, rubbed him the wrong way. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, that that happened. All right. And again, it's not... <laughs> Allow me to be clear. I love each and every one of these movies. I could watch any one of these movies at any time. I'm so it's glad. I'm so glad you said that because that's what I wanted to preface to. I meant to say this earlier. Is I love all of these movies. So it's like to to have any of them ranked like 22, 21, 20 does not by any means saying they're bad movies or mm. that I don't right. like them. So that's cool. I appreciate that. Right. Yeah, which I mean, like I said, I can I can watch these movies as well too. Like I said, you know, with Thor and, and Malekith, and you know, the whole tying in more with Asgard and such, you know, with what was going on there. Yeah, I can definitely watch it. I just like it just really didn't resonate to me as like okay, I really need to rewatch it. it like uh, right. in comparison to some of the other films we have on this list. But so, and I can get into it more when I get to that movie. But it seemed like there were some pretty monumental moments in that, like his mother dies. Uh, stuff with Jane, which I actually thought that that had better development with her than the original Thor movie, and and so it's just interesting because there seemed to be, and you know, the the development with Loki, uh, with that relationship, like again, the villain was awful. Like the yeah. villain was terrible in that movie. Like just non existent. You almost could have had the movie without that villain. Um, and I I think I heard somewhere where somebody said you could have had just him trying to get his hammer back mm-hmm. without a villain. And you just could have had that been, and it would have been the same movie, maybe even better. But Yeah, that, that was the thing. Like, I mean, I know Malekith is is a big Thor villain, so it made sense. And like I said, I didn't really have an issue per se, but it was just like how it, how it got translated. I was just like, plus they were also doing a little much humor, which I will get into as we go on with with the MCU. I, I feel when it's forced, it doesn't really resonate, and Thor is not that funny. To begin with, like he's more like the fish out of water. Mm. So to see, like they were playing off Chris Hemsworth's amazing comedic timing, but it was like oh, there's just a little too much of this for me that I, that I was comfortable with. And then in comparison with Iron Man Two, is like okay, and I think Skinner hit it right on the head when you had the Crimson Dynamo meets Backlash put in a blender, and you get Mickey Rourke running around a race car track, you know, doing whatever he's doing. It just didn't really resonate. I was like, I'm not really compelled to to really get into this character. And I think that's like one thing that just really turned me off about that. So next up. You want me to go next? Or sure. Uh, so I have 22. Uh, so this would be my essentially 23 because of Far From Home, my last ranked movie. Uh, Incredible Hulk. Um, ah, 2008. Yeah. I, I really do think this is the weakest movie where I actually think you could have taken this entire movie out of the MCU and I don't think it would be missed. Um, and also it just stinks because I love Edward Norton as an actor. I truly do. But just contract... Because Mark Ruffalo was so good. So good. Mm-hmm. That it almost... And I felt like Edward Norton kind of was like emo Bruce Banner. And and it just... And, and I guess the problem is because I saw this recently. So I'd already seen all of the Mark Ruffalo, like, Infinity War, you know, through all the Avengers movies. And Edward Norton was just, just didn't fit. Like, the story didn't fit in with the rest of the MCU to me. The only thing is I did love uh, Tim Roth as Abomination. 
Like that was a that was one of the better villains, and it, I almost think it stinks that it was trapped in that movie. Where I don't, I was even trying to remember if there's any way they could ever bring him back. As it, like even if you had some sort of villainous group of Avengers where he's in that, like and just, and bring Tim Roth back too. Mm. But that was the only saving grace. I thought Liv Tyler was, and I like Liv Tyler. I thought she was awful. Like I just thought that movie was not I felt like it was a fish out of water. I felt like they didn't have a total vision of what the MCU was going to be because again that came out right after Iron Man, correct? Like yeah, right after. Yeah, it was yeah. the second so they, one. They might not even Yeah, they might not even have known how big Iron Man was going to be and you know what I mean? And so I I just think that if they could have had a do-over, I think they could have done that movie totally different and had so much bigger of an impact. Tim, your thoughts? Uh yeah, uh I I, I agree. I actually, believe it or not, I actually have The Incredible Hulk a slight step higher. I, I have it in coming in for me at number 20. Okay. Um, and the reason why, go with me on this here, um, because probably people are going to throw stuff at me for 21. But um, the reason why I put the Hulk a little bit higher is it's got, it still has potential, as weird as this sounds. Abomination is one of the few marvel villains that hasn't been knocked off you know within within the tale um it set up uh the leader the mm-hmm. character with that um and it sets up maybe a few future areas that they haven't explored yet that they might do in a phase four phase five phase six that that sets them up for some future stuff um, I think Ryan hit it on the head that they they were surprised that Iron Man was so successful, um, which is why, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know he was supposed to have a slight cameo in it, um, but I think um, they they scrambled to actually reshoot it so that they could, you know, really bring Robert Downey Jr. in at the end with the, uh, the uh, final scene there talking to General Ross. Um, which it does also introduce us uh, to our MCU General Ross, um, played by William Hurt, who I, boy, between him and uh, oh, uh, J.K. Simmons, who plays J. Jonah Jameson, mm. it's like, man, you hit the nail on the head with casting those two guys in those two roles. Um, so I, I had it a little bit higher, but but not by much, just, just a step, in, in the hopes that, you know, later on we'll see some future Hulk movies uh, with with Hulk on his own. See, I, I had this one at 21, and I thought it was a little higher because it kept me more entertained for a lot of reasons you touched upon. I thought the Abomination, Tim Roth, was really good, and it was a, one of the better villains we had seen at that time. I know it was still early, but definitely resonated a little bit more. And for what it, it presented, and we all know that, I mean, they were having a lot of issues with this film between Ed Norton and the director. I mean, it's been well documented. Yeah. That it definitely could have been a lot better, but to see an actual Hulk movie come out and be, I want to say what we were expecting it to be. And that was just a really straight up monster movie instead of the Ang Lee version, which I, I really don't like that movie at all that this one, I, I thought definitely had a little more going for it. And plus I thought that there was a little more Easter eggs of being in the shared universe. Like you, you touched upon that. And I know in the extended cut, you do see the flyover of Antarctica and you see uh, Captain America in the ice. Yep. So and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's hinted at in Avengers one. 
uh, with Bruce Banner saying, you know, I, I tried to end it and, and I, I pulled the trigger and the other guy spit out the bullet or that's not the direct quote, but that's pretty close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they just had so much with this film that, like I said, it stands out to me over Thor two and Iron Man two just for the simple, like it was something new, something fresh. And even just for the Hulk being more the Hulk that I was, I gave it a little higher grade on my, on my scorecard. So that being said, Tim, you got the next pick there. All right. So are we at, you want me to share my 21 or my 19? Did you do 22, Tim? I did 22. Uh, that was Thor The Dark World. Oh, okay. Um, and, oh, that's and, right. And my, yep. number, my number 20 was Hulk, uh, The Incredible Hulk. My 21 is uh, Doctor Strange. Really? Um, Interesting. And and again, it's not that I don't like Doctor Strange. I could I can watch that movie you know just as frequently as the others, pretty much. Um, the only reason why I kind of put it a little lower is to me at times it felt a little bit too close to what they did with Iron Man One. Um, you know, kind of, and and that's his character in the comics too. Is kind of like you know instead of the the jerk inventor, you have the jerk doctor who you know. Uh, learns his ways and 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 goes on from that. I enjoyed Doctor Strange, but it's not one that I generally will go right to when it goes to sitting down and watching Marvel movies. Wow, I I am I am stunned at that. So, I mean, it's nothing against. I mean, you you get the mystical origin of the one Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, and I I have it higher on my list. So I'll I'll kind of get into a little more detail when we get up that high. So that being said, we are at number 20, I believe. 21. Or 21? Right, yeah, 21. Did okay. you do your 21? 21 was Incredible Hulk for me. Okay. Uh, this one, you might, I might get some raised eyebrows. Uh, 21 is Captain Marvel. I, okay, explain it. Okay, so for whatever reason, and, and, and I think it has the benefit of being one of the more, the newer movies, so I think they were saved by the special effects. They were able to do more than say what they would have done back in the you know earlier in the in the universe. And, and so I just felt like there's something about her character that was unlikable. Um, I felt more attached to other. Obviously, it was a cool origin story for Nick Fury. Um, I actually even liked her her best friend. I actually found myself liking her and wanting to see her more than Captain Marvel. There was just something unlikable, and I just feel like if if you're watching a superhero movie, like you should want to like the superhero. And and I even felt I kind of and maybe it's because it was the wrestling fan in me uh, in the beginning with her mentor there. And I'm sorry if I don't know all the names and everything, but her mm. mentor, like Marvel Jula. No, no, no. The, oh, no, the no, guy. Oh, Jula. Yeah, but it's Jula. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He he, just screamed douchebag to me from the beginning. <laughs> like, I knew right from the jump that that guy was just either – I either thought he was just a horribly written good guy or it was obvious he was going to end up being a bad guy. So there was a lot of positives, but I don't know. There's something about it, about that movie that just – I felt like they missed the mark on it. Um Obviously, it sets up a lot for Infinity War and Endgame, and she was a, a critical character. I actually felt like she had a little more edge with her cameos in Infinity War and Endgame. Um, or wait, was she in Infinity War? Or what am I thinking? The one where basically she shows up and... She was in Endgame. Like, she showed up for the end of that. But even the one where Thor, where Thor, like, 
where she's standing there and she seems a little cocky and Thor pulls the the axe and it whizzes right by her ear and she doesn't flinch and she just kind of gives him a smirk and he goes, ooh, I like this one. Like even strangely in that one little moment, I got more, I liked her character more than I kind of liked in the whole Captain Marvel movie. Thoughts, Tim? Um, all right, so I've, I've, I've got Captain Marvel slightly higher up the list. Um, does not break my top ten um, for some of the reasons that, that Ryan had mentioned. Um, but what I liked about Captain Marvel was, and even though you kind of saw the flip coming, I did like a little bit of the turn via the scrolls Because mm. that one I didn't... I'll that give you that, yeah. Um, I thought that was well done. And and it kind of was a diff, uh, a slightly different uh, take as opposed to just here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. Okay, but Tim, I felt myself more attached to that scroll character that did the turn yep. that showed like he showed so much more personality and care. Like I was more rooting for him than the main character. I felt like yeah, and I I can I can see that, uh, but. Yeah, and and again, it, it didn't crack my top ten because um, I think we're pretty close, you know, uh, a little bit. But I did have it slightly higher because it sets up some of the stuff in Endgame and Infinity War, um, and some future stuff later on. So, well, for being a period piece in the 1990s, I mean, that's one thing they they do jump around a little bit with the MCU. So you gotta have to understand that too. And when she came in, debuted in Infinity War, just showed up at the end bonus scene. We finally really get to see the character in Endgame. At this point, too, they're really trying to do an origin story, and it's it's very it's very complex to try doing because I mean, in the comics, it's kind of there are certain elements too with characters they don't have involved, like Rogue from the X Men is, is tied in with uh, Miss Marvel uh, or Captain Marvel, should I say, more so. So they, they for this, I thought it was okay, um, but this is one issue that I kind of have with how the MCU is. Like for me, I had this higher. But I have this group together with a bunch of what I call the Disney films in the MCU, where, uh-huh. it's, where it's just like almost cookie cutter of the setup, and it's very similar. Like you can take different characters, pull them in, pull them out, and you can really say, oh, is it this movie? No, it was that movie. And I thought for a lot of Captain Marvel, like while I did enjoy it, I thought it was pretty much following the same recipe that we'd seen with some other films too. So. Yeah. So for me, like I, I did like it, but I'm not like it's it's higher up on my list. But I liked it for the the sense that like you understand her powers, and they did it. I thought they did a good job explaining it without really deep diving into the Kree Scroll War, which is going to be coming for Can the I second. Can I ask one. a question though? And sure. this is total sure. ignorance on my part, but like the whole concept with they were trying to restrict her powers and make her feel less than when here they could have. If they would have utilized her powers, they could have destroyed the scrolls. Like they could have, like that. I lo- that lost me too. Like why didn't they? She was she bought in. Like she was a loyal soldier. Like why restrict her powers? They could have used if they knew how powerful they were. Like they could have used them to dominate everything. Tim, you want to take this one, or you want me to? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so. What I think is because I don't think they realized that if she knew her full potentials that she would um, break away. And I think that when they were trying to keep her in check and really with what they were doing with tampering with the false memories and, you know, really kind of blocking out her human history, 
they were really just trying to utilize her as they needed to as a soldier. And I just think that for if they if they turned her fully loose and they wouldn't then she would have got so powerful. I think that would have just completely mind wiped everything, and then she would have remembered everything, and then you know we go completely in a different direction. That's fair. Yeah. So I mean that that was the one thing because because oh Tim, were you gonna say something? Yeah, yeah. Just to piggyback on that, uh, I I think too that that's also kind of in the in the Cree nature. Like it it goes. It's not necessarily a stretch character wise for the for the Cree because they always believe that they're in the, in the comics too, that they're the dominant race. Like they are the ones and they don't want any other beings being more powerful than they are. So I think that, that, that makes sense from their standpoint, you know, it's a little odd, but then again, sometimes, you know, with the bad guys, you know, a good bad guy can, uh, you know, feels that they're doing the right thing type deal. Right. Um, so, yeah, and especially too. I mean, the Korean scrolls have always been like they've always just been a warring alien races, and they've just. I mean, it's been long documented throughout the history of the Marvel Comics universe that mm-hmm. they've always just been fighting each other for years, and to see it like they're just kind of given a little dabble of what it's going to be. Because I mean, obviously, with Captain Marvel's ties to the Kree Empire. It's going to kind of tie in later in the film, so I wouldn't doubt for the sequel we see a little more of that okay. and a little more expansion on that. But I think they just wanted to kind of dabble just a little bit without going into the full story because, like, the full story is a classic Avengers story. So not saying the whole team would be involved per se, but I think they wanted to just dabble a little bit so uh, MCU fans can get an idea what it's going to be and then when they go full tilt because the scrolls were written a lot different than they were in the comics. And especially how they tie in a little bit more so with the Fantastic Four than they do with the Avengers. So, okay. so, there, so like I said, this was kind of a little building block for it. But like I said, for me, it just was too much of like a Disney film that's in the Marvel Universe instead of a Marvel film that's a Marvel film. Gotcha. Yep. So, And if I'm doing my math correctly, we are now on number 20. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I will kick that off. And my number 20 was the original Thor 2011. Wow. Yes. Which for me, it was the introduction of Thor, which I was very you know interested to see how they were going to do it, and I I thought it was a good film. Like I say, uh, anytime they do the origin stories, though, it, it's kind of like all right, how are you really going to try explaining this? And obviously, with his back history, it, it's kind of you know a little tough. I mean, you're trying to talk about you know one world, he's you know the god of thunder, and then he comes to you know Earth, and what happens in the chaos and the sights. But I do think. For this film, though, they did a good job with it, good job explaining it. I know it sounds like I'm really down on Thor, but I actually, well, we'll, we'll see where Ragnarok ranks. But for me, his origin story, that's where it ranks at number 20. Next. You want me to go? Yeah. Uh, number 20. Uh, this one, see, I've, I've we've been close down the same page with others, so maybe this one won't be such a shock. But I have Iron Man 3. That's my 19. Okay. So my my thing, I just felt like, and again, I, I feel that... The contrast with Iron Man 2, which I'll get to in, in Iron Man 3, was because I feel like I was tainted because I had heard and I even mentioned how I talked to the two of you and you had your gave me your opinions before I watched them. And so I anticipated, I don't know, that, and a lot of people like I feel like like Iron Man 3, but I just felt like it was really overrated. I mean, obviously it has Downey, so he's amazing uh, in anything. Mm-hmm. Like he could have read the phone book and I would have been enthralled. Um, but I felt like the villain, uh, what was his name, Trevor... What was the villain? The the oh from Iron Man three? Yes. Oh, let me. See. I got go. Trevor a Slattery. Alien. 
or Killian. Yeah. Killian. Killian or Aldridge Killian. Yes. Okay, I got my villains mixed up. Sorry. Um, That's okay. I felt like he was corny. Like even the introduction of him in the film, where he was this like nerdy buck tooth guy that looked like he couldn't wouldn't know how to. It just I felt like they were hitting you over the head with too much stuff. Like mm-hmm. there there could have been more subtlety. Um, I kind of in concept I like the idea of the Mandarin. The fact that the Mandarin was like really just an actor, like a like a false flag type thing. But also, if, and this is one area I've heard, that there's going to be a Mandarin villain, right? There's a Ten yes. Rings. So that was just interesting how that ties in. And I felt like they, even though it was kind of interesting and funny the first time you're watching the movie, that here this guy that was this, like, brutal villain was really just this actor that was, like, you know, hanging out with chicks, you know, day drinking and stuff like that. But I just felt like it got a chuckle, but then it was just kind of like, oh. And, and and so that just I felt like that hit fell flat for me, and um and also the I I hated the end I I hated in a weird way and this is gonna sound weird if they would have let Pepper die I think that that would have added so much complexity to the story and to Tony and all that but the fact that she did her I literally have here that it was the ending was very Cena ish or Hogan ish wow uh like, wow like that Pepper did her Hulk up. And and ends up like coming back and it, just the whole thing. I was, you know, so much of this is suspending your disbelief. And and during like some of these movies, which we'll get to some of the better ones, where like Guardians of the Galaxy, which we'll touch on. Like I was in that movie from beginning to end. Like I no time during that movie second guessed what they did or characters or anything. I was engrossed in the movie. And throughout Iron Man three, I kept finding myself taken out of the story. And and I just I hated. The whole Pepper Hulk up at the end. And I get it. I get that it made sense. I'm not questioning that. But it just, I don't know. I really didn't like like that. Tim, so why don't we give you give your thoughts here on Iron Man 3 before I go? Um, okay. Um, so I, 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 I like Iron Man 3. That's, that's about where I have it on my list, too. Um, stepping back, and I, I remember the controversy when it first came out. Um, everyone was freaking out about the twist with the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Um, stepping back and again looking at it now that we've seen the entire saga, I can I can see a little bit of why. Um, because I would totally understand if you have Robert Downey Jr. chasing after this guy who's got ten magical rings, but then it leads up to another guy who has uh, a, a gauntlet and some jewels that people might be like, well, okay, I've kind of been there, saw that, you know, how, how can Iron Man, you know, conquering guy who's got a ring on each hand, not take out this other guy. Um, I, again, that's from a, you know, I could see that from like a fan's perspective and I could see that from a Marvel mapping out perspective that they go, okay, what if we kind of, what if we kind of pull a swerve on them a little bit here and, and make them turn the corner um, I, I liked that it started to turn the corner with the Iron Man character a little bit. Um, what I liked with Iron Man three more than I did Iron Man two is Iron Man three's right after Avengers. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it kind of, you start to see the pivot 
that we eventually see unfold between, uh, well, in Iron Man 3, you see it with the Tony Stark character. Um, coming up later, you see it with Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Captain America, where these two guys kind of come together, uh, come head to head, and then they start to slowly over time kind of switch uh, a little bit, switch roles. Double turn. Yes, where Iron Man starts feeling PTSD um, and the effects of what happens after Avengers 1 um, and and starts thinking of, of ways to protect people and help people and starts turning that corner into making um, his own sacrifices. Um, you, you start seeing that unfold with Iron Man 3. And Ryan, if you get a chance... Um, if you ever get one of the DVDs or Blu-rays, or it's probably on YouTube somewhere now anyway, uh, there or maybe even Disney Plus, I'm not sure. Uh, Marvel did a bunch of one-shots when you bought the DVD and the Blu-ray. Um, one of those releases came with, and and Ken might know this better better than I do, but uh, it either came with Captain America: Winter Soldier, or I think Thor: to The Dark World. They did a one-shot called like. Um, like uh, one one minute with the king or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, they did they did a one shot with Ben Kingsley. Yeah, where he was kind of it it was it was his Mandarin character in jail, and like it it was kind of funny because he's playing like that kind of like drunky dopey Keith Richards meets the Mandarin type character, um, and and then at the end they reveal that the guy that's interviewing him is one of the guys that's really a part of the, the, the cult of the 10 rings and he, he's being taken off to meet the real Mandarin. So they kind of retconned it a little okay. bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought uh, like you a little bit with, with pepper at the end, I thought that was a little bit hokey where she, you know, gets fired up on, um, on the extremists uh, that's in her and she grabs the arm and, you know, basically super punches the guy into oblivion um but uh yeah that's that's about where i have it too i i had it about 19 but yeah it's it's down there yeah so like for me i mean obviously 2013 we've evolved a lot with with tony stark and this one was really a complex story of like is is who's really running things is iron man or is it tony stark and kind of the balance of conscience. And plus, we also have to remember, this is when Shane Black took over from John Favreau for the franchise. Because yep. uh, Favreau, I believe, I know he moved on to a different project. It escapes me at this moment. But this is kind of when things got really shuffled up. And this is, like I say, they, they pulled the switch with Eldritch Killian there. Which, like I say, I honestly forgot because I know they tried doing the, the cheesy thing at the end where he was going to be, like, supposed to be the Mandarin. Then it was in, you know, Ben Kingsley. And, like, for me, that was just, like, such a disconnect. Because if you know Iron Man, that's his number one villain is the Mandarin. So, yeah. so to see that switch, I was like, oh, really? And then, you know, like I say, they really were trying to bulk Pepper up to, and as you said, the comeback. Yeah. You know, it just, there was a lot that was going on with this that anytime when you switch a director up, especially after a sequel, it's always tough to find that vision again. And I think for this one, while it is still a good movie, it's, it still escapes a lot of what you really liked about the first two. And it's, it's no fault. It's just, a, it's a different vision. So, yeah. so like for me, it just didn't really do anything. I am excited though, as they did retcon everything and Shang Chi and the Ten Rings. That's where the Mandarin is going to come back, and I know they're they're twisting a little bit from the MCU comic history for it. So I'm excited to see that one. I'm really really excited to see what they do there. 
So, Ryan, you're next up. Uh, yeah, 19. I, I've got Thor The Dark World, uh, which I feel like I like that a little bit more than you guys. Um, and again, I get it. The villain was awful. Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier. I just felt like there were some moments in it that stuck out to me as far especially Thor. And I like Thor is one of my favorite Avengers. Like, I really liked him by the end. So so that's why I felt like I ranked that a little higher. But I totally get, especially after hearing you guys, like, I totally get uh, where you where you're coming from on that. Yeah. So that being said, before we get into the next bunch, why don't we do a quick recap, starting with Ryan. So 23 through 19. So I had 23 was my honorable mention of Far From Home because I had Spider-Man Far From Home because I hadn't seen that one. So 22, I had The Incredible Hulk. Uh, 21, Captain Marvel. Uh, 20 was Iron Man 3. And then 19 was Thor The Dark World. So I had 23 was Thor The Dark World for me. So like I said... Just didn't really do anything. I said, first time we saw a, a little shift in the change for where we were going with the MCU. First time we heard of Infinity Stones, but not enough to really carry for me. Iron Man 2, like I say, it was just Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. That's the only takeaway you need. Incredible Hulk, nice try. You know, Welcome back to the MCU, enough said. Thor 1, all right, quick little introduction. And then 19 was Iron Man 3. So, Tim, why don't you give your recap and then lead us right into number 18. Okay, so uh, 23, I had Iron Man 2. Uh, again, I, I like the Black Widow character, but there wasn't it didn't fall into any of the Infinity Saga other than to just kind of quick introduce the character uh, there. 22, I had Thor the Dark World just because it did introduce an Infinity Stone. Um, Doctor Strange at 21. Uh, the Incredible Hulk at number 20. Iron Man 3 at number 19. And in my number 18 spot is the sequel to Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, okay. I, I, I like the movie. Uh, I, I, it, was, it was very entertaining. Um, Timeline-wise, I remember watching it in the theater after it. It's exactly what was needed as a follow-up to the gut punch that was Infinity War, you know, where you're, you had that emotional impact, so you kind of had to, you know, kind of come back out of that a little bit. Yeah, it was your uh, letdown match. Yes, yes. The but the bonus scene put you right back in to the Infinity War um, with what happens at the end there to uh, to the Pims and and, and Ant Man, and you just go, oh, oh my gosh, that that like they did really well at getting you to kind of forget Infinity War while you're watching it for a split second, and then bringing you right back in. Um, which which I thought was good, but um, I I like the original Ant Man slightly better than the this one, but this is that's where I I put it as number eighteen Ant Man and the Wasp. How about you guys? I I have it at seventeen, so I'm right there with you. And I think that they had a missed opportunity. I thought the ghost character, the girl, I think that could have been an amazing character, and I I just think they could have gotten more out of her and even and his his character name is escaping me, but. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, like I just think they could have gotten. Oh, Goliath! Yeah, I think they could have gotten more out of those two than they did. But but it's kind of the same thing, and I feel the same way. Both both Ant Man movies, I felt like they were really fun movies that that accomplished what they needed to accomplish. Uh, enter, they were very entertaining, but they weren't anything that blew you away. For me, eighteen was Ant Man one, and seventeen was Ant Man two. 
that's interesting because I have I have uh, seventeen is Wasp, sixteen is Ant Man, so we're all pretty much close yeah, to the same page. Yeah, here. I was gonna say this is why we're all friends. Eighteen <laughs> is Ant Man and Wasp, and seventeen is Ant Man for me. Yeah, like just first and foremost, how absolutely mind blowing is it that we live in a day and age where Ant Man is a movie franchise? Not let alone <laughs> we had one Ant Man movie, but we have two, possibly three coming of not even Hank Pym, Scott Lang. Like, to me, this is Marvel's, like, crowning achievement <laughs> that w- that this actually took off and, and was well. And, I mean, and kudos to Paul Rudd for completely embracing the role. And Oh, he did a great job. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think if anybody else was cast, it, it probably would not have worked. And just to see how this actually unfolded, the whole saga, you know, and, and obviously when you deal with Hank Pym, it, you know, it's always a very, very... You know, he has a very interesting history in the MCU. Uh, that's what that left me, like, very intrigued. I thought Kirk, Doug, Kirk Douglas. Uh, or was it Michael? Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Michael, Michael Douglas yeah, yeah. Did, did a great job with that character, and it made me want to know more. Not knowing anything about the comics, that made me want to know more about him and his history. Yeah, like, or Tim, you want to say anything? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, no, like, but like I say, his comic you know, character has gone through many different incarnations uh throughout the history of the mcu some very you know dark and and not uh disney friendly shall we say and then he's gone through like just various incarnations where trying to you know see what identity he's going to be um involving the avengers is is always kind of a guess because he's gone through ant-man he was yellow jacket at one point he was goliath another one um i know they tried making him at one time the scientist supreme like comics it just roll with it Mm -hmm. But just the fact to see like that Ant-Man, one of the original characters, it spawned out, and they actually made it endearing, but they also borrowed a lot from the, like I keep referring to it as the Disney formula. And it was one of those, like, you can swap out characters, just put different ones in, retell the story, but it's the same thing too. And But kudos for them to make this happen. I mean, like I said, Paul Rudd did an amazing job as this. Evangeline Lilly as, as Hope Van Dyne was great too. Corey Stoll yep. as, as Yellow Jacket, which, I mean, they completely twisted that character and did something great with it. And, uh, of course, Michael Pena as Luis. <laughs> and and T.I. Yes, and T.I. too. <laughs> so, I mean, when you have all of that working in your favor, I mean, it, it spawns out to a great franchise. And I think, I think Tim, you hit it too. Like, I think it was – it wasn't going to blow anybody away, but it was – both of those movies were just what you needed, especially the Wasp movie was exactly what you needed following Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah, and and if I remember if I remember right, I think chronologically Ant Man one also followed Avengers: Age of Ultron, which was kind of a heavier Avengers movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have those kind of in between, I think kind of kept the flow going, um, where you were looking forward to what was happening next, kind of all the way around. Again, it didn't have to blow the doors off and be like a Guardians of the Galaxy one or or anything like that. Um, but I, uh, but I think it did kind of overachieve as you both pointed out, um, from where expectations were. Cause I think everyone was like, okay, Ant-Man, uh, all right, well, I guess let's see. And, you know, people were like, oh, you know, I, I don't think I've heard anyone yet say, you know, necessarily a bad thing about Ant-Man. Right. It's, it's just, but it's just like, I, everyone seems to be like. Yeah, I was really entertained by it. it. It was what it was, but you know, it it was it was okay. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. It was, it was completely, what I say, is the blueprint for the Disney formula in the MCU. And I and you'll see this coming on a lot more in this in this list as we're moving forward. But it nailed what it needed to. It was the feel-good film that, that at that time they definitely needed. So, like I say, I can't argue with that. And that's why I said 18 and 17 for me, that was the Ant-Man franchise thus far. Okay. And I, I have 18. I have a little something breaking that up. I have Iron Man 2, which you guys kind of touched on. For whatever reason, I just... I, I didn't mind that movie. I felt like I was anticipating it was going to be really bad, uh, and it just it was entertaining to me. So that's uh, we kind of touched on it before. I know you guys had it really low on your list, but that cracked your top twenty. It's in the teens. I, I, wow, I'm blown away. <laughs> that is one of them. So that is one of the movies, and that is the case with some of these. Is some of these I only saw one time. You know, some of these movies, you know, some of them I saw multiple times, but that was one of the movies where maybe I, you know, if I go back and watch through it again, I may have, especially hearing you guys, I may have a totally different outlook on it. But I just remember almost, I was, I was dreading watching that movie thinking, oh man, I've just heard that this isn't that good. And I remember watching it being like, oh, this isn't bad. Like, I, I'm good with it. And I like Don Cheadle. That's where Don Cheadle came in, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think he was a great fan. I like Terrence Howard, but I think Don Cheadle kind of liked the whole Ruffalo Norton thing. Like Don Cheadle just fit that role, you know, better. And I, I, again, I, I just remember leaving that movie like, ah, that wasn't that bad. Like I was entertained. It's entertaining, but it's like I say, it just didn't really move the needle for me. So, so that being said, that was our number 18. So I believe we're on number 17. Well, I know you guys both had ant, ant man, you know, and wasp. So I just wanted to get my, that in there so but yeah as far as uh, i'm with you i just had ant-man at 16 and it was kind of what we already what we already talked about so if you guys want to hit your number 16 tim do you want to leave that sure uh number 16 i had thor one um tom hiddleston gets a lot of credit for this uh i thought his turn as loki was brilliant um chris hemsworth as thor uh was a good uh choice um we, we also get introduced to Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye uh, in a scene uh, from this film. Um, and also, I think, you know, it, it gives a good nod. Because, um, Ken, as you, were, as, as you were saying, sometimes you got to play Thor just right. Um, and to introduce the character and kind of that lore and that luster, um, I think Marvel Studios did a good job at actually hiring uh, Kenneth Branagh as the director for that. Yeah. Um, and that was, to me, that was like such a curveball choice for director because some of the other ones, you know, you think John Favreau and it's like, okay, Favreau's done Elf. He's done uh, Swingers. You know, he's done a couple different films. It's not too much of a stretch for him to be directing Iron Man. But Kenneth Browner, who is kind of more known for directing all, like basically any Shakespeare movie under the sun, I'm pretty sure has been directed by Kenneth Branagh, um, lended a little weight to this. And I, and I think it lended a little bit of that kind of tongue in cheek seriousness, um, to the whole thing too, while introducing the lore and then allowing later on when you get to like Ragnarok and things like that, you could start bringing in the humor, um, a, a little bit more. But for me, Thor was at number 16. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's close. I've got it coming up here in the next few spots. So, but I'm I'm kind of with you. I had it down in my twenties. 
like it, I, I do like it a lot, but I was just saying compared to some of the other films, I thought that it was down further on my list. Be, because like I say, Thor is, is also tricky to write because you have to deal with the Asgardian history and then him being the fish out of water on Earth. And it's kind of like at the time, I really wasn't sure what to expect out of it. But I thought Kenneth Branagh did a great job as the director. I guess I can touch on it now. I had it at 14. I enjoyed it because I just enjoy Thor's character in the whole thing. The only thing is, and it's so funny because uh, you can even ask my wife, uh, I love Natalie Portman. Uh, Big time crush on Natalie Portman. And I just felt like she just seemed like she was shoehorned in. And the whole rom-com aspect of, of that, like... It, it just seemed too forced. Mm. And, and it, like, even when, you know, they were supposed to feel like he had this attachment to her that was going to force him to fight harder, like, I just wasn't feeling that. I felt like that – I'm not saying I would have hated it. I just would have loved to have seen a little more development there. And I kind of – I almost feel like Natalie Portman, who I love, love, um, I just felt like she didn't fit there. That's fair. I mean, like I say, it was just – it was one of those kind of growing pains films, I think. They just yeah. coming out of the coming out of the gate. It was like, okay, where are we going to get out of this? Yeah, and and, and slight nod uh, to Brauna throwing it back in uh, Infinity War. Yes, uh, if you watch the bonus material, it's actually the voice of Kenneth Brauna at the be- very very beginning of the film where he, um, they're making the announcement like, you know, we're a peaceful ship. This is Asgardian refugees. You know, please, you know, <laughs> hold your fire. Um, it's actually him, which I thought was kind of like, oh, that's. Uh, a, a good little Easter egg wink to That's you know cool. the guys who started the fr- franchise. Yeah, no, it was definitely a cool little Easter egg that you have to really pay attention to everything in the MCU to really pick up on. I was like, oh, this is really tying everything together. But that's you know, Marvel is doing the hashtag; it's all connected. So, ex- mm-hmm. you know, wasn't super shocked at it, but I was like, oh, this is a really nice touch. So, if I'm doing my math right, I'm up on sixteen. Yep, you. Yep. And mine maybe is going to kind of throw a curveball. I don't know. Avengers: Age of Ultron. Okay, I'm I'm with you. I have it my net. I have it at uh, 15 actually. So that's actually because I thought you guys were going to nail me to the wall I, for that one. I I have it at 14 actually. Oh, nice. Okay. I I will say this. I I really enjoy it, and especially the opening action scene is straight out of a comic when they're doing the 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 sideways attack. Um, right at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. So Joss Whedon did a, a great job with this, and it definitely tried capturing a lot of the magic from the first one. Albeit, though, it was kind of maybe too much of a good thing, so to speak. Like, I don't think they really did enough time with Ultron and, and really made him into the real villain that he is. That's that's so cool. This, make, this is making me feel smarter and smarter because I literally okay. thought the same thing. I actually felt it should have been called Weekend at Ultrons. Oh, jeez. Um, just because there wasn't that development. Like, no, it just seemed like it's Age of Ultron. And, it, like, you could have even maybe even had a time jump there and really shown, like, the, the uh, I don't know, the, the domination of Ultron. Like, I don't know. I just, it, I never, yeah, I don't know. I, I just felt like it was rushed, kind of like what you said. Tim? Yeah, um, I I enjoyed the film. Uh, I I wish Ultron was a little bit more developed as well. Um, I I also kind of felt like they um, really missed with uh, the Quicksilver character. Yes. Um, although I I guess I could see from from their end of things that was when the the Wolverine the solo Hugh Jackman Wolverine movies were coming out. 
Um, and that particular rendition of Quicksilver uh, was, of the two, was kind of the more popular one. Um, and, I, you know, you knew someone had to, one character had to kind of die to kind of make the, the story move along. Um, and, of course, they heavily teased that that was going to be Hawkeye um, and then turned it into Quicksilver. Um, it was okay. Um, it, it certainly sets up, you know, uh, the much better, uh, civil war, mm-hmm. uh, with, with what happens at, at the end. Um, I've got it slightly higher, but right around the ballpark. Yeah. Like with age of Ultron too, it, it was really tough for them to try doing at the time, the two Quicksilvers because we had the one with the MCU. And especially when we heard that they were going to do Scarlet, Witch, if you know anything about the comics, you know that her history is tied into the X-Men lore a little bit more. Same thing with Quicksilver. So it was really kind of puzzling how they're going to pull this off and trying to do the two um, brother-sister there. It was really interesting to see. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson was really trying to do it, but let's face it, Evan Peters blew him out of the water as yeah. Quicksilver for the Fox franchise. And there's rumor is that uh, Evan is going to be in WandaVision. So I, I'm trying to see what they're going to do there. But that, that's a faint rumor that's going around, so I'm trying to get a little more details on that. But, yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, James Spader as Ultron. I was just going to say that. I love yeah. that dude. He's so great. And I just – there's the one part I popped so when, when Hulk no jumps – No strings on me. Well, no, when Hulk jumps in and rips him out and you just hear him, oh, for Christ's sake, as he's being blown out of the thing. Like that – I don't know why, but that just popped me. Like him – it was one of those things where I'm here. I'm like, oh, I know that voice. And and once I realized it, because actually my wife and I are watching Blacklist right now, mm. uh, and so yeah, he that was pretty cool. But yeah, the whole development of Ultron, and then just how quickly it's like it all happened. I just felt like they missed. You know, Tim and I. That's one of the things we talked about. Is I felt like for me, some of the DC movies like Suicide Squad, I felt like it just stuff seemed rushed. Like there was a forty-five minutes to an hour out of the movie. That was just cut out, and mm-hmm. it was that's what I felt with Ultron. Like there could have been an extra, and I'm sure it was probably a three plus hour movie or whatever. Anyway, but I just right. felt like there was a big chunk that they could have developed that more well, to make me care more. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out, Ryan, um, because it's real. It really is a tale of two studios. Um, background wise, um, before Marvel Studios sells to Disney. Basically, Kevin Feige and the crew sit down with them and they say, well, look, if you want to buy us, this is our plan. And they they pretty much had the plan up to Avengers 1. Um, and they're like, you let us do up through Avengers 1 our way and see how it goes. Uh, no interference whatsoever. Otherwise, no deal. And Disney kind of goes, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um and of course, Avengers happens, turns into a big hit, and Disney's, for the most part, been fairly. I mean, they they've in it, it, from time to time had their input, but for the most part, they've been fairly trusting of the Marvel guys mm-hmm. to say, "Okay, you've got it." DC, on the other hand, is owned by Warner Brothers Studios. Warner Brothers Studios is, is a movie company. Um, of course, um, as I put on my Captain Obvious hat, um, and uh, but they, it always seemed to me that they looked at DC as like the little brother. Like the DC guys would come to him with a great idea, and Warner Brothers would be like, "Yeah, that's great, kid. 
you know, we'll we'll let you make it, but you know, trust us, we're the we're the movie making experts. And they would just Green Lantern for me is like a Oof. you know exhibit A for Oof. that. It's like a movie company just coming in, not knowing the character, and just completely turning it into you know yeah. a three ring circus to whatever you want to define that movie as yes 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 <laughs> yeah uh, no other than good yes that is <laughs> yeah well that i mean that's the whole thing well marvel had this planned out from the jump i mean about doing the shared universe and they were very smart about it. where where i feel the dc failed is they tried doing it after the fact and that's why they've yeah. struggled so much that now though i will say they are on the rebound with a lot of their properties. I know we're going to talk a little DC just for a quick sec, but since justice league and then however you feel about the Snyder cut getting released now that they've kind of reset things a little bit, you still have wonder woman, which did amazing at the box office. Shazam was great. You know, it's a really old school, classic big meat Superman film Then suicide squad coming out when I with James Gunn is going to be a lot of hype behind that when that comes out. And, and it seems like, they're going to still kind of be in the same universe, but they're not going to be shared, which I think is going to help them. And then if they want to go back down this route, down the road, sure. But right now, yeah. let them tell the stories of the great characters without feeling that you need to keep them connected. And I yeah. think that I think you'll see a good rebound from them. Because I think they learned when they tried forcing a shared universe in without proper setup, it, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely not going to work. And that's why... Yeah. Oh, go. Yeah. Universal Studios ran into the same thing. They just seemed to be like they all saw what happened with Iron Man through Avengers and went, oh, we'll have our shared universe. And Universal tried it with the monsters um, and and failed miserably with Tom Cruise's rendition of the mummy. Um, But but like like you were saying, Ken, they're kind of starting to rebound um, Universal with uh, Invisible Man, which I hear is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard Um, nothing but good things about that. And, and and there's there's tr- they're trying to finally get away from that shared universe side and go okay how can we tell a good individual story which I think is going to help them in the long run. Didn't they just cast Ryan Gosling as the Wolfman though? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I I don't know if they're fully out of the out, out of there yet. Just I think they're keeping yeah. keeping you know something something a little to go back on. But I but you but, but you're right. Yeah, but it's baby steps. I mean, that's what that's what you need to do because if you're going to try to do a shared universe, you have to establish each character. That's why the origin episodes of the, as I call them, the first movies with certain characters that you really resonate and you really can connect with, and then when you see them everybody together at once, it's the big payoff, which Marvel yeah. has been so smart about doing. And that's why I say with the Avengers, you see that a little more so than not, just with how they tie everybody in together. And like I say, um with Ultron, yeah, did they introduce some characters? Sure, but without, and especially for the fans that know the background in the comics. I mean, obviously, we know in the comics, Hank Pym is the one who created Ultron, not Tony Stark. A lot of right. differences there. Um, and obviously, you know that Magneto is Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver's dad. So there's like, you know, a, a real changing of what they were established in the MCU. Now it's, it's going to be interesting to see now that the Fox properties are going to be now with Marvel, what they're going to try doing, if they're retconning anything or what. And I, if I can mention one other thing about Ultron is that seemed like I had trouble grasping the whole vision thing. Like just that whole – I just kind of had to say, okay, I just got to deal with – like as they were developing that, as they were mm-hmm. trying to – you know, that that just seemed like – I don't know if it flew over my head. Uh, just understanding the whole concept of vision and Jarvis and like 
all of that just seemed I just kind of was like, all right, this this is a cool character now. I'm not going to get caught up in how this came to be or how they pulled this off really. I'm just going to okay, cool. Vision's a cool character yeah. that can that can, you know, stand on the other side of Ultron essentially. Well, Vision has always been a long-standing member of the Avengers and his history, I mean, they did follow it more or less to the comics. Okay. But it's it's a it's a like I say it's a long different story. <laughs> With with Vision, but I think just the fact we got him on screen that was big because if you if you know the Avengers history, he's, he's a long standing member. Okay, yeah, yeah, and and origin wise, like you were saying, Ken, fairly similar, um, pretty much created by Ultron. Although in the in the MCU, you know, you could I I can see why they wanted to, um, kind of uh, take the uh, take the actor there and uh, you know really instead of just him being the voice of Jarvis and the computer system for Iron Man, really let him out and kind of explore um, and, and be more on screen as a, as a, as a presence. Mm -hmm. Right on. Okay. Next up. Well, I, I, we're, we're up to 15, correct? Yes. We're now going to start 15. Yep. Yep. Well, that was, I had age of Ultron. Okay. So I'm right about there with you guys. So that's all. We just hit on that, so but yeah, I had Ultron at fifteen. Tim, okay, uh, at number fifteen, I had Spider-Man: Homecoming. Okay, um, uh, again, I, 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 I like um, of of all the Spider Men uh, who have played Spider-Man over the years, um, Tom Holland's my favorite. I, I enjoy his rendition of the character. Um, this is is a good story. Um, but it, it kind of feels, uh, and, and I think Ken, you had kind of hinted about with it earlier a little bit. It kind of feels like a plug and play, like okay, instead of Ant Man this time, we'll use Spider Man, and um, we got to put Tony Stark in there just to kind of give a little bit of a, a push. The rub. To people. Yeah, yeah, yes, basically. Um, but uh, it, it was good. Um, it was entertaining. Uh, I, I like Tom Holland's character. Um, the the Vulture was actually a somewhat decent villain. I'm kind of curious to see what they do with him uh, with possibly the next Spider-Man because we keep getting uh, the little tease that eventually a Sinister Six movie is uh, going to come out, which he might be a part of. That I think that might make things a little, little interesting, and I hope they don't go all... Toby Maguire, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man three with it. Um, no, I, I think but, they're being smart about this one. Yeah, but uh, I'm, I, I I would kind of put Homecoming there, you know, just because it kind of to me it kind of it was nice, but it felt there. Well, I think for this, obviously, this is going to be the first time Tom Holland was in a an official MCU movie. I mean, I know the legality of that is a little complicated, but let's face it: after the Andrew Garfield nonsense, which I'm sorry, I, I I can go on a whole other podcast about how much I don't like those films. To see Holland... I'll, I'll, I'll join you for that one. What's that? I'll join you for that one. Oh, yeah, we, we might have that come out at, at some point. But for Holland to come in, they definitely want to make sure that it was fully established that, yes, this Spider-Man is in the MCU. And for what they wanted to do, like I say, it was a little plug-and-play, but I think they wanted to just really establish, okay, this is the direction we're going with, and for whatever reason, Sony has this love affair with doing the Sinister Six. I still, to the, my knowledge, I don't understand it. 
Like, I like the Sinister Six, don't get me wrong, but they are definitely inching towards doing that film. Now, whether it's going to be the next Spider-Man film or the one after that, I don't know. But that's where they're kind of leaning right now. So it's like, I I think this one, though, they did a good job of explaining, um, you know, the essence of what you want to see with Spider-Man. Like, for me, this was number 13 for me. I did it 12. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love this movie, though. Um, and like I said, Holland has done very little wrong, in my opinion. He's, he's the one that brought he, – he settled the problem with Marvel and Sony. So, he, he I mean, he's probably the strongest member of the MCU. And I even kind of like the nod to how he's trying so hard to get into the Avengers, like as if Spider-Man is trying to get into the MCU. Like that's how I kind of yeah. – I don't know tons of the background, but I just – I felt like that was kind of a nod to what was going on behind the scenes. The only thing – and this is interesting because I have a 16-year-old daughter – who thinks Tom Holland is just, like, dreamy. <laughs> and so I guess there's part of me that would just chuckle the idea that Tom Holland was playing a nerdy, unpopular kid in high school. Like, <laughs> just – I that, <laughs> I just would chuckle because that would lose me, like, he, that he was supposed to be, you know, that character when the – you know, I, I mean, I'll admit it. The, he's a pretty man. Uh, he's a he's a pretty young man, and the idea that he would like be so awkward and unpopular, and you know, even the nerdy part I could get, but like, you know, the fact that he only had the one friend and the girls didn't like him and all, it just was. I got a chuckle out of that. Yeah, he, but he's 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 embraced the role. He's embraced everything about the MCU. Oh, he was great, and just his innocence. Yeah, like uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, he, he's great. And and the Captain America PSAs do get me every time. Oh my god! When they, roll out, when they roll out the AV card, they're like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy's like a wanted criminal now." But whatever. Yeah, it's incredible, incredible. <laughs> and even when he points the other way, where the the PE teacher's supposed to be standing on the other side, yeah, like just little things like that. Like I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, just how they do it. I mean, obviously bringing Michael Keaton back in as the Vulture too, perfect. I do. Can I mention one thing? So I, I was sure. going to get to this at twelve, but I think the scene. Where he's driving them to the dance and they're at the stoplight. Yes, and he know he when he figures it out. That to me is one of. And again, I'm not this big movie buff, but for whatever reason, that stands out to me as one of the best uh, examples of cinematography and acting and everything. Like that was literally one of the best, just simple scenes out of the entire MCU. Like the emotion and the tension and everything i mean even how like the light turns green like almost signifying that it clicked with him mm-hmm. figuring you know, like just the whole and and michael keaton is just an amazing actor and like that just that scene i just thought was amazing regardless of even the rest of the movie like that scene itself was was pretty amazing right on so for my 15 captain marvel I thought for the introduction they wanted to do, and like I say, a lot of these are kind of grouped together because they had the same kind of vibe. Uh, like I said, Ant-Man and Wasp was kind of you know uh, you know cut in place. Same thing with Captain Marvel, in my opinion, too. Um, I know I had Ultron in the mix as well, but like I said, that one, you, you they were trying to cram in a lot, too, that I think really jumped around a little bit. So for me, Captain Marvel, we already discussed it. That's my 15. I just want to throw in one thing, and you mentioned DC, because I thought Wonder Woman was amazing, and that's one that me and the whole family went and saw in the theater, and and I thought her character, I think that's what 
was also influenced my opinion of Captain Marvel was the Wonder Woman character was so well done, mm-hmm. I thought, and so likable, and you rooted for her and everything, and I think just the comparison to Captain Marvel, I didn't have that same attachment. So that's I just wanted to mention that, that I think that also kind of hurt my Wonder Woman influenced my opinion. Even though they're totally different stories, per se, yeah. uh, it still influenced my my opinion of Captain Marvel's character. No, that's a fair statement. I like I said for me I know in the history of Captain Marvel and like I said it's it's a very um there's a lot of moving parts with it so I think for Captain Marvel to come on screen it, and explain her backstory it's it's uh, like I said there's so much going on with it that I think it's not as easy as like Wonder Woman's which was very straightforward like I said I love that movie third act went on a little too long got to admit it, and yeah. a little anticlimactic with the villain but overall loved it so I I can't really say too much bad about that. So that was 15. So let's go 14 before we get a break, starting with Mr. Ryan. I have the original uh, Thor movie. Uh, Again, we kind of touched on it before. Uh, Thor is one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I thought it was a pretty good origin story. Uh, I thought it was great background and development for Loki, which I almost think Loki is the accidental, like, I get the impression that he's that guy that was just going to be kind of a, 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 a side character, and he ended up just being so complex as a villain, babyface, good guy, whatever. I, and I thought that laid the groundwork, the fact that there would be, uh, you know, a relationship there. And it also fueled, like Tim said earlier, you know, every good bad guy has like that, that reasoning that you can, you can identify with where it's like he, here he was kind of lied to uh, that he was actually Odin's son and then finds out he's not. And just that whole thing. So I just, I, I did like that. I, I put that at, uh, at number 14. Um, but as I mentioned, the Natalie Portman thing was was rough and kind of took it back a couple of notches. Fair enough. Tim, you're 14. My 14 was, and we've, we've touched base on it already a little bit too, was Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, to me, I put it up a, a, a little bit higher because of the little nods that you get the payoffs a little bit later, um, especially the, the it totally sets up the hammer. Um, scenes in Endgame. Uh, so I, I, I have that as my 14. Right on. For my 14 was Doctor Strange. Uh, and like I say, just perfect origin story, but like I say, it, it kind of it's all grouped together instead of it's all connected. It's just all grouped. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, perfect as Doctor Strange, had no issue with him. Really loved how they did the setup. It, it was everything that was as trippy and weird that Doctor Strange needs to be. Because if you've ever read an extended run of Doctor Strange, it's a little out there. It's entertaining, great books, but like I say, it did what it needed to do and establish why you would actually care about, you know, a surgeon that never really cared until he lost the use of his hands and had to find a way to reinvent himself being a mystic, um, you know, sorcerer supreme. And that, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I was just going to piggyback because that's actually my 13 is Doctor Strange. And that's cool because I actually thought that. In a weird way, I was for some reason I was under the impression that the comic book people like Doctor Strange would be way farther up the list. <laughs> that it, that it was revered higher than I thought because I just felt like, I, as someone who never read the comics, didn't know much about him outside of I obviously saw Infinity War and Endgame before I saw Doctor Strange. Was I just felt like I was drinking from the fire hose? Mm. Like just it, it just felt like they were throwing so much at you. Um, and that was my only complaint was that I just felt like he just all of a sudden here he is trying to figure all this stuff out. And then and I get it. He was, you know, had a photographic memory or whatever and was incredibly intelligent. But 
I just felt like it's it's like, oh, he read a couple of books and poof, he's this incredible sorcerer or wizard, you know? And so that's where I just kind of – but I still liked it and I, I liked – you know, even though some of the stuff seemed unbelievable it was as, as it was happening, it's still all tied together at the end. And I loved the ending, the fact that he didn't just come up with a – like, he didn't overpower the the villain. Like, mm. he actually outsmarted the villain, and, and I thought the ending was amazing. And then they even teased the – the one uh, wizard or sorcerer or whatever that ends up kind of in the deleted scene killing the original guy that, that led uh, Doctor Strange to... Um, oh, Dormammu and Bear Moro? Yeah. Like, so that was... I, I, yeah, so that's... I thought the ending and, and the deleted scene at the end were really cool, and I'm actually looking forward to the to the sequel. Right on. What were you going to say, Tim? I, I was... I was... I was going to say what you guys said actually has me excited for the sequel um, a lot more. So I, I like, I, and I think for me, it, it's not that I hated Dr. Strange. I, I don't, but for me coming along, like and and getting to about that movie, it was like, okay, I've kind of seen a little bit of origin. It was well done. I love the Benedict Cumberbatch casting. Um, and it, but the the trippiness makes me more excited for Into the Multiverse coming up later than it did for the first one here. Especially with Sam Raimi directing too. Yes, that's going to be. I'm super excited for it, and I just want to see Bruce Campbell. He's going to yeah. make an appearance. You know he is. Absolutely, it's going to happen. So for 14, so I already did 14. I did Thor. Right. And, and then 13, I had Doctor Strange. So, so Tim, why don't you close us out with your 14? Um, my 14 was Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, and my 13 was Captain Marvel. All great picks, all great numbers. So we're going to take a quick break before we deep dive into the 13 through 1. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Let us know what you're thinking thus far. We'll be right back. Well, hello there. I'm Brian Wayne, host of the Cheers to Comics podcast, and I'm here to bring you the ultimate comic book podcast for readers and lovers and collectors of all levels. Whether you're trying to get caught up on last week's books or you're just looking to check out the latest interview with the latest creator, this is the podcast for you. So if you're looking for a comic book show that doesn't stray away from the topic and you're looking to get an insight from a true fan and lover of this industry then tune into the cheers to comics podcast three times a week as i brian wayne raise a glass to this wonderful wonderful industry that is comics cheers hey this is johnny moose from excite wrestling and you're listening to the o d p h i didn't mess it up i thought i would right now back to the guys Coming back for this very special edition of the ODPH Podcast, talking the MCU with Ryan Bombard and Tim Skinner. We are going through the entire lineage of the MCU because Ryan has finally watched them all. This has been a long day coming, folks. So <laughs> let us go. Ryan, why don't you give us a recap before we deep dive into the top 12? Again, almost all of them because, uh, disclaimer, I missed Far From Home. So there, that's my uh, uh, honorable mention at 23. Uh, 22 is The Incredible Hulk. 21, Captain Marvel. 20, Iron Man 3. 19, Thor The Dark World. 18, Iron Man 2. 17, Ant-Man and Wasp. 16, Ant-Man. 15, uh, Age of Ultron. 14 is Thor. And 13, Doctor Strange. Tim? 
At uh, 23, I had Iron Man 2. 22 was Thor The Dark World. 21, Doctor Strange. 20, The Incredible Hulk. 19, Iron Man 3. 18 and 17 were the Ant-Mans. 18, Ant-Man and the Wasp. 17, the original Ant-Man. At number 16, Thor. 15 was Spider-Man Homecoming. 14, Avengers Age of Ultron. And 13, Captain Marvel. So for mine, Dark World by Thor, 23. Iron Man 2 was 22. Incredible Hulk is 21. Thor number 1 is at 20, though. Iron Man 3 is at 19. Ant-Man is at 18. 17 is Ant-Man and Wasp. 16 is The Avengers Age of Ultron. 15, Captain Marvel. 14, Doctor Strange. 13, Spider-Man Homecoming. And I'll start us off with the 12. And that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, 2014, when you meet... Oh, I get, I'm getting shakes in the room here. What? Yes. The Galaxy's favorite Misfit team debuted, which is another one I didn't think I was going to see, especially because Guardians is a very unique audience. Like it, it, at, the, at the time, they'd gone through a couple different renditions for the comics. They had a resurgence um, with Abaddon and Landing Ring. So thus, that being said, I wasn't really sure how this was going to translate, and it was a surefire hit. But like, like I said, a lot of pl- plug and play. I, I mean, I guess I'm more not amazed how far down you have it because mine's up there quite a ways. I'm more amazed that you have Volume 2 ranked above Volume 1. All right. My my thing about it is 2, I thought, did a little more to flesh out some of the characters. And I thought 1 was pretty much the Groot show. And this I thought we got a little more out of each character. A little more development, especially from uh, uh, Star-Lord. So that's why I kind of went there with Volume 2. But a little higher. So, I mean, that's my pick, though. I mean, like I say, they're very close around each other. So it's not like one is, you know, volume two is not in my top ten. So, Tim, where are you at with this? I, I, I'm, wow, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably as surprised. I'm, I'm probably as surprised at that pick as, as Ken was surprised at me when I picked Doctor Strange a little bit lower. Because uh, I have Guardians 1 um, a little bit higher in my category, only because it was, one of those films that just it was so different i mean similar in some ways but different in that it just took it to a completely different world different galaxy like this was this was the first one where we really i mean other than some of the thor stuff where we were on asgard but guardians of the galaxy you know again much like when we're first introduced to iron man um back in 2006 2009 somewhere in there um we get uh the a a team that's not really well known known in the comic world and and known with with a variety of renditions like yondu was one of the original guardians uh uh not one of the uh the one of the pirates here uh one of the ravagers um as they have them in the movies, but yeah, I'm 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 kind of surprised. I mean, not super surprised, but because um, it's right up there near near the top ten. But yeah, I thought I thought it'd be a little bit higher for you. I have Guardians one at four. It's okay. I'm not <laughs> like okay. like I said. Uh, I'll, I'll go with him. I I had it at eight. I had it at eight. It was in the top ten, but it it was not in the in the top five. 
I, I sorry for me it was, it was great like I said I really enjoyed it it, it was but it was it, it just felt cookie cutter like like I said it kind of had that Disney vibe to it and I just like okay and and it, it was hokey enough that it was entertaining but I was like in comparison to some other films which we'll get into I didn't have it as high so that's my stance all right I I, I just I felt like that was one of one of them that like I was just engrossed in from beginning to end. I never felt myself questioning, well, why'd they do this? Or they should have done this? Like, things like that. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed that movie. So, that's cool, though. It's all right. I, I, I You know, I got to cause some controversy. It, <laughs> right. It, it sells podcasts. <laughs> all right. So, that was my number 12. So, Ryan, why don't you give us your 12? I, I had Spider-Man Homecoming, so that'll be quick and easy because we, we hit on that pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think, just looking at... Da, 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 da. Yeah, no, I, I I already pretty much touched on everything. I love the villain in, in Homecoming, and we, we already touched on everything else. So, All right, Tim, you're 12. Okay, this is probably where I get in a, in, in a little hot water. Uh, I had Thor Ragnarok um, at number 12. I, I like Thor Ragnarok. I think it's hilarious. But I don't know. It just it it I I I wish they actually had done a Planet Hulk movie and not just tried to kind of cram it in with Thor's story. I get why. I get that the movie company, you know, um, I, I believe it's Universal owns the rights to the Hulk, so Marvel can't do a standalone Hulk movie as of yet. But I don't know. I I liked it. I th- I thought it was hilarious, but I not quite top ten. I was just gonna say that's interesting because I have I have Ragnarok at ten, and I just always thought everything I've heard is that everybody loved Ragnarok, and I anticipated you guys would have that in your top five, both of you. So that's that's I'm not too far away. Like I said, I'm just two spots away at number ten for Ragnarok. So I will say this, and I might I'm gonna wait for Ryan's reaction to this. I'm going to kind of give you my bulk numbers here because 12 was Guardians of the Galaxy number one. 11 was Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because, like I said, okay, they're just okay. little, they're a little in between. I had Thor Ragnarok at 10. No, look okay. at that. Yeah, I, I did for a lot of the, what Tim was touching upon too because they did teeter around Planet Hulk. This is where Taika Waititi's version of Hulk or Thor, I thought really, okay, if we're going to make him funny, it made sense. They kind of really ran with it. But like I said, it was – for, as you see with this bulk that uh, we've been talking about, at least from you know my 19 through now, they're all pretty much cookie-cutter, wash, rinse, repeat. All of them have that little element. But what I thought Taika's version was is he, he took a lot of elements, I thought, from James Gunn's Guardians and really blew them up and really made them pop and really explode into something completely different. And that's what I really liked about it. Plus, Hulk, I think, plays off better with somebody than his own solo. I, though I, I'm with you, uh, I, I would love to see Planet Hulk. So he's like the MCU version of Ludacris. Yes. <laughs> I'm degree. glad you got that reference. Yes, awesome. I, I know what you're meaning, yes. So, because, yeah, because his solo stuff, yeah, it's, it's okay, but when he's paired off with somebody, yeah, he lights it up and, and goes completely on a whole different level. So, like I said, for for this, and like I said, I could almost interswap 10 through 12 just depending on what day I, I, I watch them. We, we actually had mirrored 10 and 11. I have Guardians 2 at 11 and Thor Ragnarok at 10. So you and I are on the same page there. Yeah. Uh, you, know what's, you know what's crazy is I think this is the first time all three of us pretty much had the same pick at 11. I had Guardians 2 at number 11 as well. Right. See, right on. I mean, like I say, for what it was, 
it, it, it's a film. I mean, it's kind of cut and repeat, but I thought for where it stood out, I think they developed some of the other characters a little more. And like you say, you understand Star-Lord a little bit better, and it wasn't so much like everybody focused on baby Groot and, mm-hmm. you know, like the love affair that began there. I thought it just it stood out for a couple different reasons, and plus, especially, I didn't really think 2 was going to be they were going to be able to do a really Guardians franchise with the film. Like, I thought the first one was going to be okay, but it's like, where are we going to go from here? And they proved me wrong. So if we're, if we're touching on Guardians 2, because we're kind of jumping around there, I just want to... So so where where did you have... So, Tim, you had Guardians 2 at 11 as well, and then you just had yeah. Ragnarok at 12, correct? Yeah. So yeah. we're all kind of on the same page there. Yeah. As, as far as um, going back to, to Ragnarok real quick... Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought uh, the intro of Valkyrie and Korg, I thought were just two awesome characters, and I actually would have loved. And it, Valkyrie did get a cool cameo in uh, Endgame, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, I thought that they were great characters. Yeah, I I I loved it. I just you know I I just felt we're getting to the point where these are all amazing movies. So it's like, yeah, you know, Ragnarok can be an amazing movie and still be have nine other movies that are better. So. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. Did you guys want to any, say anything else more about Ragnarok or? No. I mean, the fact that I actually saw a closest thing to uh, Beta Ray Bill, and now we're going to get him into uh, Thor Four: Love and Thunder. I'm okay with. Uh, if you know the comics, Beta Ray Bill is a uh, alien Thor. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yes, and he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, and, and I love Jeff Goldblum's turn. As uh, the the dictator, oh yeah, grandmaster there, yeah, of, of, of Scar there, yeah, and 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 I, I just love at the end where after all of it and like the planet just overthrows him and all this stuff, he comes crawling out of the wreckage and he goes, okay, we'll call it a draw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he he hammed it up so well. <laughs> yeah, he was so good in in that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't really take anything away from that. Like, he, he really brought something to the role. And, and especially when you do the cosmic villains, you really need to go somewhere with them. And you really need to make them really stand out. And I thought he really set a good groundwork for that. So that was our 11s, I believe. Well, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, and you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. You have that at 11, right? I have Guardians 2 at 11. Or that's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah, Guardians 2. So if we want to move on to that, I I just thought, again, fun movie. I just think the characters are amazing. And you, I'll give you more I think about it. They did do more like even uh, Batista's character, uh, some of the other characters, like they did vet out more. Uh, but I still – I love the original Guardians. But Guardians 2 was good. The only thing just the whole his dad is a – planet and a god thing that's like, that's well that's james gunn spinning it because that's not how it is in the comics okay right. and, yeah. and, and but just that's where i also got caught up in the whole hogan-esque thing where it was like they almost made the dad so powerful that it kind of like it was like okay they're obviously going to win but they almost like, i just remember thinking that like they made the guy too powerful where it's like if we're really reasoning here, like they shouldn't defeat him outside of the fact that Quill has his, yeah, you know, but, like, Hogan, but like Hogan in the, but 80s. yeah, but it's just, yeah. it, it made me feel like, okay, you know, you know, the, the dad is going to do all this stuff and then Quill's going to, you know, big boot leg drop 
and win. Yeah. Like, and I know it's not that simple, but that's just what stuck out in my head. No, I mean, and that's a fair assessment, but that's kind of how the Guardians have been written. I mean, if you think about how they won the first time against Ronan the Accuser, you know, they just started doing the sing-along and, and group puts them in the, you know, the wood sphere and they survive everything after, you know, messing with the Infinity Stone. So it's like you, you have to kind of suspend a little reality with that. So, and, and the thing is, if you've ever read the Guardians comics, I mean, they're very well, but yeah, they go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, and that was... That was kind of – it was interesting to – you could kind of see how James Gunn kind of toned it down a little bit with Ego too because in the comics, Ego is just a planet. There's no yeah. living embodiment. Like he doesn't turn himself into Kurt Russell. Um, <laughs> so I could see the kind of conundrum he was in. But let's all be um, real. If we were all planets, we would probably turn ourselves into Kurt Russell. I mean you can identify with that. Well, absolutely. yeah, of course. <laughs> That, that was actually going to be my follow-up. It's like, well, if you're going to pick a dad, then you just have to be, not have it be Hasselhoff, Kurt Russell. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the one the one thing you got to know about Marvel Comics and especially their Cosmic Universe, yeah, it, it's it's really weird. Try, try Like, you want to just go down a, a, a Google search, just tr- search out some of their different characters. I did, and, and I, that's why I feel like they missed the boat because I think revealing that Ego gave, like, intentionally gave Quill's mom cancer like or brain tumor or whatever like right you you gave me a look i'm trying to remember yes that's right yeah. tim right yeah because yeah, that was that was a reveal like oh no way he did that and and so i did like that but that was the only thing that took me out of it i almost feel like if they would have i don't know made ego just a little less or made me re- well yeah i don't know that just that was the only thing that kind of just took me out of it but yeah, but like I say, with with how the script was written, and especially when it's a throwaway character that they can really go some different directions with. Because I mean, if you ever seen him in the comic, he he fights Thor, and you just see this big head planet facing off with Thor. Yeah, I mean, like I said, just just roll with it. It's it's Marvel <laughs> cosmic. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's it, it's a weird place to visit. <laughs> I like it though, but it's it's just but it's, it's odd. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just odd. So I think that summed us up through 12 through 10, if I'm not mistaken. That's right with me. All right, so Tim, why don't you kick us off with number nine? Okay. Um, so, oh, uh, number 10 I had Far From Home, and number nine I had Black Panther. I'm I'm at nine with Black Panther as well. Wow. I, yeah. So so that's interesting because I thought a lot about this. I literally had Black Panther in like four different spots. I feel like it could go as high as it could even be in the top five. But then also there were just some things that like and, – and also just full disclosure, I'm tainted with the fact that I've watched this this one movie more than any of the other MCU movies. So maybe I'm more critical where maybe after my first watch of it, I would have had it placed a lot higher instead of after watching it multiple times. Wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm letting you explain. I'm letting you explain. I need to hear this. I, I, I really enjoyed Black Panther. Um, I, I, like Ryan, I could, I could probably put it anywhere between six through nine. Um, and, you know, not quite top five, but, but very close. Um, I, I thought it was well-written, well-directed. Um, the villain is probably one of my favorite villains in the MCU. Agreed. Um, uh, but, yeah, yeah, it just... For, for me, it kind of came down to, to also getting my homework done and getting this list in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> full, full disclosure. Um, so, yeah, I, I Black Panther, I, I had at number nine. 
Real quick, and, and, and one thing that lowered it for me, and again, this is after paralysis by analysis, I think. I, I, I felt even the first time watching it, I wanted to see T'Challa try to change um, Killmonger. Like, get him to... Like, like almost apologize and say, hey, what happened to you was wrong. Like, you don't need to do this. You know, there's good inside you. Almost like the, you know, kind of like the uh, the the Luke-Darth Vader dynamic. Like, because at the end, like, I liked the ending where it was like they were kind of almost brothers at the end. But I would have loved to have seen T'Challa just, I feel like they missed an opportunity there of him trying to convince Killmonger to, like, join him you know join them be there be part of what they're doing there uh in wakanda and and i just felt like that was just because you you felt sorry oh excuse me you felt sorry for killmonger at points and like just to have t'challa want to come and kill him like i don't know that's well it, it it goes back to what what we've kind of been talking about here and there the idea that what makes a good villain is they believe that they're the good guy right and and you could see as you're watching it and as the story unfolds, you can go, oh, I could see where Killmonger can make this choice. And, you know, it, it wasn't just him deciding to be a mustache twirling old bad guy. It, it was, you know, stuff, the things that had happened to him and his perception of it over time. And it's like, I, I really like that about this one. But, but even when T'Challa you know, in, in the dream state or whatever confronts his father. And like, I just would have loved to have seen him make those same concessions to Killmonger and say, Hey, what happened to you was wrong. And, and I want to try to fix it. And then you could also throw that shade of, of bad guy back on Killmonger where he's just, he doesn't care. All he cares about is revenge. He doesn't care about Wakanda or anything like that. I don't know. Just me spitballing. This was my number two. Wow! Wow! Uh, yes, I am. I've rewatched this a couple times. Uh, I own it. I love this film. I love the vibe of it. Ryan Coogler's vision of T'Challa and Wakanda and Killmonger is the best MCU villain. I don't even think it's close. I mean, it's debatable if you really want to have an argument between Tom Hiddleston's Loki and Josh Brolin's Thanos, but Killmonger is definitely stands out michael b jordan's performance is incredible Mm -hmm. and for me like i say there's one thing that i i look for and when we started going into the top 10 i think um or especially my one and twos i was really trying to see something that didn't look you know have the feel of you know guardians of the galaxies and and thor and yeah it it wasn't formulaic this just had a, a, a completely different vibe completely different vision and like you say where you were looking for you know, T'Challa to try, you know, doing the apology and redeeming and, and, you know, trying to win back Killmonger. I love the fact they didn't. I I thought that was such a different take. And that's one thing, like, if you you listen to the ODPH, I talk about this all the time. I'd like to see when they take chances and they don't do everything formulatic. Um, When they really go and they really make a a clear-cut vision or they really follow a story to the letter, that's where I really think that the MCU shines. When they start getting into the formula and everything's the same, and you, like you say, you can just take out certain characters and, and just different scenarios, and you really see the same movie, but you're seeing it eight different times just with different characters. Black Panther didn't do that, and I thought it was just so compelling about 
Killmonger's character that he really stood out and I think overshadowed uh, Chadwick Boseman's performance. To and that, but to me, that's part of the problem, though. Like, I think that goes back, and maybe I'm looking at this too simplistically, but just like I said about Captain Marvel, like, T'Challa was the hero. Like, he was the focal point, and when you find yourself, when you find the villain totally overshadowing the hero, and and it was more, and again, I have no problem with Killmonger. Like, he could have been this justified evil dude Mm -hmm. and still done everything he did, but that's where I felt like they just missed some of that character development with T'Challa to, like... You know what I'm saying? It was yeah, more no, about I, I, it was more about his character, you know, what I was saying. But I totally get if that's too – because I see what you're saying and you're kind of like – you're making me look at it differently. Now. Yeah, because that was the one thing. It's just he was so compelling that he made you stand out. And in, especially if you take a look at every single superhero versus supervillain, if the villain can really challenge the hero on every single level, not just powers but just, you know, what they're standing for and, and their motivations and really challenge – the best villains bring out the best of the heroes and can and really gives that dynamic that I'll be honest, in the MCU they're severely lacking. They 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 are, like I said, other than the three I named, Thanos, Loki, Killmonger, who stands out as a villain? That you go that's the one I remember really in detail. Yeah, you're right. So like I said, for me, everything about this film I I absolutely loved. And I've like I said, I've seen it multiple times. And even on the rewatches, because when I was putting this, when you brought this idea up about doing the list, I even rewatched it again. And I was like, you know what? It's number two. Number My number one, I'll explain when I get up there. But like I say, for me, this is number two, hands down. Hands down. And when they do the sequel, I'm hearing a lot of different reports. It's going to be a political th- thriller with him and Dr. Doom. I'm going to throw that little rumor I'm hearing out. Wow. So I'm, I'm putting that karma out in the world because <laughs> I want to see that. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be really nice. Yeah, do more. Put it on screen. I'm, I'm there. All right, so getting back to number nines. Um, wow, because I'm completely blown away that that was there. <laughs> I don't even know where we're at. So that, so that was your number nine? <laughs> that was mine and Tim's number nine. Okay, so yeah. my number nine, Captain America Civil War. 2016's Big Brawl. It was everything you want to see with the comics. The only thing I think I have it down so low, and, and maybe this is the comic reader in me, if you know the comic story of Civil War, it's completely different than what they do on here. And I think they tried, uh, I don't know, to, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal in this one didn't really hit home. I think they just tried forcing him to be the villain instead of like explaining his part really well. And I, I love the fact that we finally got the big superhero brawl because, hey, who doesn't love seeing that? We finally got Spider-Man on there under ruse. It was everything it needed to be from an action standpoint, but script-wise, I don't know. I, it just it didn't really connect. I, I mean, I did love seeing Baron Zemo in there and how he's going to be playing a factor in Falcon and Winter Soldier, the TV show coming to Disney+. Plus. I'm all for. But like I say, in the ranks with everything else, it, it was good for the action, but I, I, for, to compare it with a comic story, it just didn't connect with me. Uh, I'll leave it to the floor here. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, okay. Um I had it just a little bit higher, um, not by much, um, but I, I'd, agree, I'd agree with you there. I had it up there for for those action pieces, for the introduction of of Spider Man, um, for the big, you know, midway uh, midway through the film battle scene. Um, I can understand why they kind of veered away from uh, some of the key elements of the of the Civil War comic it, itself. Um, you know, Spider-Man unmasking, 
Um, obviously, it's the first you know movie that he's in here in the MCU, mm-hmm. so you don't necessarily want to you know do that right away. Of course, that comes up with uh, Far From Home later. Um, but uh, and and you certainly like some of the comic panels uh, art wise. It's it's it, especially some of the bigger battles are some of the most for me I, I most wonderful pieces of comic art um, that you can see with these big battles. So to even give them, I, and that's where I give them a little bit more points um, and and bump it up a little bit is uh, you couldn't have the hundreds and hundreds of heroes in the MCU fighting one, one another on a movie screen without having it look too busy. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I think they balanced that just right. Um, I think it kind of continues the arc um, again that we see with Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. Um, so that's why, that's why I kind of had it uh, a little bit higher. Yeah, I had it. I had it at seven, so I'm I'm in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The ending I thought was cool. I remember the first time I watched it because I actually was, I kind of felt it was weird, and I was actually glad that they had the uh, the accident with War Machine mm-hmm. and how it kind of brought like it added because there's part of me that's like when they're all fighting, it's like well, they're kind of fighting, but you know that they all and. It, like love each other, yeah. Like that, they they don't actually want to hurt each other. So that's where the whole battle seemed weird to me. Um, and then it all ties together because I see what they were doing. They were you had war, a war machine get hurt, so that added some realism to it, and even had it had the opposing sides realize, oh man, what did we do? And then the ending, where it, it almost seemed like a fake fight, but then it set the scene for. Uh, Rogers and Stark, like there, where Stark is legit out for blood, mm-hmm. like, and so that was cool. I just almost wonder, and it's funny because I always kind of looked at it as an Avengers movie. Like when I was actually when I originally wrote this, I, I had a Freudian slip where I actually wrote Avengers: Civil War. Well, it can be classified then, as it, yeah. But but that I almost wonder. See, I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of again same thing. Like you you understood where Stark was coming from. But they shaded him just enough because it was a Captain America movie. So, mm-hmm. like, Captain America is not going to be the villain. Right. They shaded Tony Stark a little bit. And I thought they actually did a pretty good job of just shading him a little bit because you still wanted Cap to win. But you understood. I just also wonder if, if you could have if you well, could have done more if it was a straight Avengers movie and you weren't. Yeah, that's what I think they should have done, too. Tim, you were going to yeah. say? I, 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 I was going to say on, on, on that note, though, too, I, I do like where they kind of reveal that Cap has known what's happened to Tony Stark's parents from the get-go. Well, not from the get-go, but from at least since Winter Soldier, when all the files come out from, from S.H.I.E.L.D., um, that he's known what happened to the Starks and that it's his friend and you kind of get to understand, like you could see why, you know, uh, Iron Man's upset with Captain America, but you can also understand Captain America, you know, and and his point of view too. Like he doesn't uh, uh, it like his best friend killed his other best friend's parents. Like, what do you do with that? Right. Type, type deal. So, 
I that's that's where I kind of enjoyed it. You can kind of see where both sides kind of had a point. And yeah, they shaded Iron Man a little bit more. Um, and even in the comics, they kind of did something kind of similar. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I had it just a shade higher for that. But and I'm a huge Captain America mark. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like like I say, I think if they just called this Avengers Civil War and that's what they wanted to go with it, I think it would have came off a little better. But, like, I, and I know they couldn't do the full comic story, but I thought for what, you know, putting that name on it, it's like anytime you put a, a, a legendary story on a movie, it's got to deliver. I mean, I think this is one problem that I have with, like, when every time you see X-Men Dark Phoenix and mm-hmm. how atrocious those films are, which, no, yeah. we will not be talking about in the show again, Brian. <laughs> Right, I, I, just say, I haven't seen him, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was going to say, right. Oh, the, the, yeah, Ryan, no. Ryan say, save yourself about six hours of your life. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Watch the animated <laughs> series. Do whatever. Yeah. Watch the X-Men animated series, right? Okay. Yeah. It, it, that's, it'll be worth any more than seeing those two hot garbage fires. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. See, I'm so mad I'm messing names up. Jeez. Very, very, very few movies can make uh, Green Lantern look good. Um, that, that is a it, true it, statement. It's it, it, it's very close. It's very close. Yeah, it, it makes it it makes it look like The Godfather. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna leave it at that because I'm gonna start getting angry. So, all right, what number? <laughs> what what number are we? On? I think we're up to eight, right? That was your nine, so I think yeah. we're up to eight. All right, so it's my eight. So yep. if if all right, I gotta refocus here because all my anger is coming out now. <laughs> talking Dark wow. Phoenix, I. <sighs> Yeah, you between X Ken's triggered. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you don't Ken, want to see me go green. Green angry uh, rage monster. Yes, yeah, because anytime I start talking, yeah, that's probably one of our most popular shows because it's just Pat and I going off for about a good forty-five minutes about how much we ate that film. So, all right, so number eight for me. Uh, I know Ryan, you didn't see it. You said it at the beginning of the show, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, this one, am I allowed to talk spoilers? Or you want me to kind of teeter around? Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. For me, this was the closest we've seen to an actual Stan Lee comic mm-hmm. go on screen. From plot, dialogue, action, this was the old school Spider-Man vibe. That, like I said, when I was watching, I'm like, this is a complete Stan Lee comic. Just down to. There's stuff that you can definitely tell is happening, and you know you can see it coming a mile away. But just the essence it is, Tom Holland brings out is the old school writing, and I like I really enjoy this film a lot. Tim, yeah, um, I like like I said, I I definitely I had it in the top ten. I had I had it at, at at number ten, but I absolutely that you hit the nail on the head. That is as close to a Stanley Steve G- Ditko comic for spider-man that you are going to see on screen um at, at least for the moment i thought um jake gyllenhaal's portrayal as mysterio was um that was, was great awesome. i loved the nods and the throwbacks to some of the films that y- you wouldn't see them throwing it back to necessarily and so, and bringing back, I'm trying really hard not to spoil it for Ryan. No, go ahead. It's fine. I actually, I mean, I looked through it because I didn't know, I didn't know what to do when I was originally looking at it. So I kind of looked at spoilers and looked at what happened, and then I just realized, like, I'm not going to try to fake it. Well, so. well, when they get the jewel of the sea back from ti- the Titanic, it's just it's a heart wrenching <laughs> twist that no one's coming. No, uh, you said too much. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, no, but uh, like the the character from Iron Man One, played by Peter Billingsley, uh, little Ralphie from from the uh, Christmas Story uh, movies, uh, who wanted his Red Rider BB gun. Um, I and, and I know Ryan kind of touched on this a little earlier with Tom Hiddleston and Loki. Um, Peter Billingsley's character as like that scientist who gets chewed out in Iron Man one was really just supposed to be a, a one-off. He just happened to be like kind of in the neighborhood and Favreau was like, Hey, you want to come in and, you know, film a couple scenes um, to have him come back in far from home and kind of draw into that character and show how it ties into the Mysterio character. And, you know, some of, uh, again, some of the ramifications of, Tony Stark's choices. Um, I, I I just thought that was really well done, and the the trippiness of Mysterio, much like we kind of talked about with Doctor Strange, uh, it, it was just it was great. Like you you felt like you were in the comic book. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I'm definitely I'm looking forward to checking that out now. All right, Ryan, your number eight. Uh, I have Captain America: Winter Soldier. Uh, I loved the. uh Oh, I'm getting a look. No, go, go, go. Uh, you're I, getting. You're getting. You're getting two. <laughs> okay. I go. Go I, with it. Go with it. <laughs> I see. This is another one where this this movie I saw one time. So I I I may need to go back and watch it now. From the looks, <laughs> I'm getting both uh, in person and virtually. Um, I I I love the development of the villain. I mean, Bucky as a villain, like who you're rooting for, like that whole dynamic was amazing. Um, it kind of made Cap an underdog in it. And then, of course, it developed Black Widow, uh, her character a lot more. She was way more involved, uh, loved her. Uh, so I don't have anything bad to say about this. I just I felt like it was a – I just kind of felt like it was a supporting movie. I didn't think it had the impact that some of the other ones had. But obviously I am incorrect. Tim, would you like to t- – I will let you go first. Oh, well, do I give it, do I give him the big spoiler? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, that, that's my number one. That is my absolute number one. Okay. Captain America winter soldier. Um, and for some of the reasons that we've kind of hinted about with other movies. So for me, it was, it's, it's Iron Man three, but done in the proper way. So part of it is the turn. All right, you're starting to see the turn of the, of Steve Rogers, Chris Evans, um, not being necessarily deciding not to be the soldier, the good soldier anymore, and deciding to uh, question authority a little bit and kind of reach out there. Um, you actually have an example there of a villain that lives and turns that we were hoping for with the Black Panther. You know, where they kind of Black Panther at the end, Killmonger kind of they kind of see each other on, on level ground. But uh, the Killmonger character still passes away. Um, you don't see that with uh, the Winter Soldier. You actually get to see him and his arc and you get to see the turn. Um, you have the Hydra curveball where, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. just basically gets destroyed um, and you don't know who to trust. Um, which in turn builds the trust between Cap and 
uh, Black Widow and Cap and Falcon. Um, you get to learn uh, some. It, it's funny because if you go back and see some of the other movies where some of the other smaller characters also kind of pop up, you sit there with a different turn too. Like even Iron Man 2 and Gary Shandling's Senator character, mm-hmm. um, where you know he's kind of a jerk, but you think like, ah, he's just kind of some smarmy politician. You know, to learn that he's a Hydra agent and it's embedded with the government and it kind of, that that whole film really harkens back to some of those old spy thrillers um, which is why they bring in Robert Redford because um, a lot of people compare Winter Soldier to um, an old Robert Redford film called Day of the Jackal. Um, and it, it just really has that vibe where, and, and like uh, Ryan, like you, you had pointed out too, it puts Captain America, who's essentially kind of Marvel's Superman, more or less, mm-hmm. um, it makes him that, character that you root for it puts him at his absolute worst like he is just constantly on the run constantly getting the snot kicked out of him pretty much that entire movie um up up until the end um and uh you also get the little wink and the nod um with some of the easter eggs to um uh, like Samuel L. Jackson, uh, if you if you go back and read Nick Fury's epitaph on his tombstone, it's the Bible verse that Samuel L. Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction quotes <laughs> um, out of Ezekiel. Um, I I just thought it, it it had everything. Like it took that hero at his hero peak. You know, he's he's walking through the Smithsonian. He's seeing you know his past and wrestling with being that man out of time and trying to find his place in the world. It, that it just had all of that for me. So that's, so what you're saying is it's, so what you're saying is it's an average movie at best. Uh, Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I love your passion, dude. Like you make me, I'm literally thinking I'm going to go home and watch this tonight. Like your passion, uh, of, of, talking about all that is like and, and <laughs> Ken's over here like stretching like as if I'm uh, I'm going to get it from another angle too so <laughs> well I I'm yes and I'm sorry <laughs> this is my number 1 as wow. well yes. and let me break it down to you like this because when I was talking about Black Panther and I said I didn't like seeing stuff that was cookie cutter, that I want to see you know some of fresh take, something that didn't follow a form, form, formula, what's the word? Formulaic. Thank Formulaic. you. Because now, see, this is what happens. When you get me amped up, I can't talk right. <laughs> this movie is like almost panel for panel captures the essence of the classic Ed Brubaker and Steve Epping run. Yes. Of Captain America, which to explain at the time, because I know you're not that big of a comic uh, person, Bucky Barnes is considered like one of the three people they could never bring back from the dead. Uncle Ben from Spider-Man and, well, Jean Grey they threw out the window enough times. Comics, just go roll with it. Bucky Barnes has always been hands off. Like there's no way he died a heroic death in, you know, the early Captain America comics. The fact that Brubaker found a way to bring him back, let alone make him a tragic villain at the time, and you start seeing how Cap has been 
dealing with manipulation from the government and all these other factors in play that basically tie into how Bucky Barnes has came back, let alone properly, and had a lot more to do with the MCU than anybody has any idea about. To where he's, like I said, he's a tragic villain, and then you see his redemption arc. It is one of the best Captain America comics of all runs, like stories of all time. I will even say it's one of the best Marvel comics of all time. Yeah, I will agree with that 100%. And how they illustrate this, like I say, this didn't follow any formula. This was literally, here is the story. We're going to make this into a film. Like they didn't really t- like uh, tinker around too much with the story. They literally kept it in the essence of what it should have been. Like I said, the Russo brothers, the minute I saw this and saw how much respect they had for the story, I was fully like, okay, you're going to be doing Avengers. Hey, I'm here. First day. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Because like I say, when when you make Captain America and like how, how Tim touched upon, where he is uh, looked upon a lot of times as the Superman of the MCU, meaning he is the moral compass. He's the ultimate Boy Scout. And you start putting in the seeds to question his ideals and what he believes in as far as, you know, what he's been standing for. And like I say, his best thing is like, I represent the ideals. I don't represent the government. And just how he really sees what's been going on and just how the story unfolds. It is so good. And it stands out as, I don't look at it as an MCU film. I look at it as a film. Like that's how, that's how good it is. And that's how I literally sit there and go, Okay, yeah, it's like it's supposed to be a comic book film, but it doesn't really have that vibe to it because the story is so good. Yeah, and 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 really the especially with Captain America's stories, Captain America at his at its best is when Captain America is in his worst. Yes. And and just the idea of can he overcome like that that's kind of the unfortunate trope with like a, a Superman is he can fly in, he's got all the powers. You know, so it, it, it it's kind of tough. So you can kind of challenge him from the aspects. But Steve Rogers doesn't quite. Uh, yeah, he's got like the super soldier serum, but basically he he's just this guy who just happens to be stronger and faster than everybody else. And when you when you take his morals and kind of throw in the question of well, what do you think of it this way? Um, was so well done in both the film and in the comics, because uh, Ken, like you were saying, like, um, and, and it's a, it's a funny backstory, uh, Ryan, is that the, the reason why Bucky Barnes was just killed off is Stanley hated sidekicks. Yeah. So he like, he, he hated like Robin and, and all those guys. So he was just like, yeah, no, I'm not bringing back Bucky too. So, uh, yeah, he died, you know, yeah, he was he wasn't too big about sidekicks, but yeah. like for for the time though, when when he was in the comics, like it made sense. But it was just like okay, as Stan started right. getting more of encompassed with Marvel, he just kind of you know wanted Cap right. to be by himself. But to bring to to bring him back in, and like like you said, Ken, to bring him back in in a way where it's like mysterious and somehow at the same time like you've never seen him, but he's had his hand in like a bunch of pivotal events in the Marvel universe um, to bring him in almost in the same way with the MCU mm-hmm. uh, was just really well done. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've ruined this whole show. Like, 
I'm just I I because you two just like totally. This is what I was anticipating coming into this. It's just totally. Not only did you put me in my place, and here I thought like, yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, Black Widow. She she does something in there. That's good. And and you just totally ripped me a proverbial new one. And I basically spoiled <laughs> both of your number ones. Well. But here's here's the thing, though, as we we clarify, Ryan just got done watching all of the MCU right. films. Tim right. and I are old school Marvel heads, yeah, exactly. like so. You got to remember who you're talking to, and like I say, we we have read some very very bad Cap stories over the years. There's a lot. Yes. Cap Wolf. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know the sad the sad thing is I thought that and I didn't want to say it on the air. Like I really because okay. yeah I know yeah. you. Wolf. Yeah, yeah, Cap. So Ryan, much much like uh, the the uh, X Men Three and the Dark Phoenix stuff, yeah, save yourself some time. You know, just just go to the barbecue, man. Just go to the barbecue. Don't don't read Cap Wolf. Okay. Yeah, just just ignore it. Just yeah, no, just I. If you really want a list, uh, we, I have a very good friend by the name of Brian Wayne. He runs the Cheers the Comics podcast. I will get you like a top five list of Captain America comics. You should go pick up. I, that would be cool. I, and and I seriously, I am gonna go watch, rewatch Winter Soldier tonight now with a totally different different lens. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about it because like we we look at it from the comic fan. You're more the casual fan, which nothing wrong with that. That it is what it is. This this is. I'm be honest. I joked about ruining the show. This is literally. It's this sort of thing was why I wanted to do this. Well, yeah, because it, it, because this is something that if you're getting into the MCU, especially now that it's in such a transition phase let's face it with everything that's coming down and we'll talk about that after the number ones well since tim and i gave away our number ones (laughs) it'll be a quick segment but when we start talking about everything coming on it's going to be such a different mcu that we're going to see that to go through and see how you know you as a casual fan are looking at things going into it i think is going to be a really cool you know discussion piece so yeah so i mean i mean like i said unless you said you had iron man 2 at number one then i was going to be like i'm cutting the cords right now and everybody goes home or, or if you had Winter Soldier at twenty three, yeah, like, yeah, then it'd be like, okay, this is a short episode. The music you've been hearing is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this show would have been literally ten seconds long. Yeah. All right, so that was your number seven, I believe. Number eight. Number eight. Okay, see now I'm completely like, poof. all right. So Tim, what was your number eight? Uh, my eight was Guardians one. Okay. Um, I uh, basically because it was it it kind of spun the Marvel universe into a broader landscape. Um, again, we'd gone in and we kind of touched on this with the, with the guardians discussion earlier. Um, we were introduced to, you know, Asgard, um, but guardians is really the one that kind of really opens up the entire universe um, to, to multiple characters. And it's, it's one of those Marvel movies where they take a group that's, just about unheard of in in the mainstream and make the mainstream. So that's that's why it's up there for me. Fair enough. So I've already said my number eight. So my number seven. What was your number eight again? Just refresh my memory. Spider-Man Far From Home. That's right. Okay, sorry. So my number seven is Avengers Infinity War. So, yeah, for for me – I, I understand what they're trying to do, and obviously we finally get the big payoff we've been anticipating since Avengers 1, and that's Thanos comes to Earth, and we start the, the slow telling of the Infinity Gauntlet saga, at least what we're going to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
I I did like it. I liked it a lot. Um, obviously, if you've read the Infinity Gauntlet story by Jim Starlin, you know exactly what was going to happen. So mm-hmm. I wasn't taken aback as I was watching people in the theater starting to tear up when the snap happened. Um, I thought how they did it was very well. Um, obviously, trying to juggle around that many characters, I give the Russos a lot of credit for. And for me, it, it, it definitely was a perfect setup piece. But like I say, I wasn't completely blown away by it, but I did enjoy it. Like, obviously, it's my number seven, so I did really like it. Ryan? Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, Tim, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. Well, I feel that now I'm going to spoil because I actually have that as my number one. Infinity uh, War? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually looked at that because I, lo- I did look at some different rankings online and stuff, and so many people had Endgame number one. And I felt a very much Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi vibe with Infinity yeah. War Endgame, where I actually felt Endgame, you kind of, it was like, okay, I know what's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see how it happens. But Infinity War, kind of like you said, it wasn't formulaic. Like you left that, you know, half of your heroes are dead mm. and and you're not sure how, you know, what's going to happen, where are they going to go? And there was, you know, even the way that Thor, you know, the beginning of the movie is, you know, half of Asgard being killed, Loki killed. Like, so, you know, there was so much about that movie that was, you know, you really got lost in it. And so I just, I really felt, you know, same thing with, you know, Star Wars where it was like, okay, Return of the Jedi had the monumental battle with between Vader and Skywalker, but like. Empire Strikes Back. Am I wrong that that's universally kind of looked at as the best? Yeah, no, you're Star right. Wars movie, and that's and because it it opens it left so many questions that you wanted answered. Like I left, and we Infinity War. Jack and I we hadn't really seen too many of the MCU movies, and we just left that movie just thirsting for more. Like mm-hmm. we just wanted to know what happened. We wanted more, 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 which I think is what you want to do with good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. No. Like I say, I, I don't I don't fault you for having that at number one. I like it, it was a tough it was a tough call, but like I say, for me, I to do the two part stories, I thought it was a great intro for it. And it definitely portrayed it well enough. But I think in comparison to what I had higher I, I thought it was just more of a if I'm looking at it from like a film point and a comic point. So that's where I, I kind of differentiated from it. But I don't fault you for having that number one. Ryan, I, I, I had the same feeling with with Infinity War and Endgame that, that you did. I, w- I was like, oh, this is this is the Empire Strikes Back. This is that. Oh, and, and I, had, I had read um, the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, actually, the Infinity War um the infinity war series was what got me into comics when i was a kid really uh in in infinity war issue number two where the front cover was the heroes fighting all of their doppelgangers and it was like oh this looks cool i wonder what this is about um and just from there just you know just dove head first into everything um so I, I, I had both Infinity War and Endgame slightly higher, probably because for, for nostalgia purposes as well, like, I, you know, the old school Star Wars, uh, along with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, are also some of my favorite films. So I, I had it higher um, uh, on the list. But, um, yeah, I, I, again, any one, of, any one of these films that are now coming within the top five are e- easily 
rearrangeable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Apparently, except Winter Soldier. Yes. <laughs> you have failed. I, I, I was going to say, Ryan, you know, with Infinity War, you kind of totally redeemed yourself. So. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some style points on that one. Yeah. But, yeah. but your homework assignment tonight is to go rewatch Winter Soldier. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, Tim, I believe you're up. Uh, what number are we on? Seven. Number seven? Okay. Um, I had Captain America, the uh, the first Avenger, at number seven. Um, again, one, I'm, I'm a huge Cap fan. Um, I, I also thought as, as close as Far From Home was to a Stan Lee, Steve Ditko comic, um, I thought Captain America, uh, first Avenger, um, stayed very true origin-wise to the Joe Simon, Jack Kirby um, rendition of the comic. Um, I wish that the Red Skull was still kind of around uh, for Captain America to beat up. I mean, yes, he's on Vormir right now, but um, but I, I, I thought they did a good job with it. I thought if you want an interesting take on it, because the director for this one is Joe Johnston, um, Watch The Rocketeer mm-hmm. because Joe Johnston is also the director of The Rocketeer. And if you see The Rocketeer and then you see Captain America First Avenger, you could totally see why Marvel trusted him with this movie. Because he's one of those he he's one of those guys now now granted he's he's made a few, you know, fumbles as well. Um Jurassic Park three. But <sighs> Um, yeah, sorry, Ken. Uh, but, but when it comes to his period piece stuff, especially World War II related, I, I think he does a very good job with it. And I thought he, he did a solid job with this one. For me, this was my number six for all the points you touched upon, actually. I thought for a period piece of World War II, he, he nailed it right out of the, the park. I thought this was a perfect introduction to Steve Rogers for anybody that was really like, oh, it's just Captain America guy with a shield. And, yes. and it really, you ca- you capture the essence of why Captain America is the moral compass of the MCU. Yeah, I, I had it number five. I'm so shocked that I had it higher than you, Tim. Uh, I just, I loved Captain America. I think it it, it was such a, a great, because again, chronologically, it's a great kickoff to the whole MCU story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean... I, I kind of put it up there with Iron Man as, as like the reason that I have them both so high is I, they're sentimental. They're they're kind of the the fire starters, the sparks sure. of, of the whole thing, and they just they do such a great job of establish, establishing the two biggest stars, the two biggest heroes. Um, I'm just trying to look and see if I had any other notes. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's it. Just that it that it set. Yeah, it just set the stage for so many things, and I, I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong there. So that was my number six. So I will let you kick off the round of six. So I, I still haven't gotten to seven. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll do, I'll do seven and see. You, when you mentioned about Winter Soldier being so low, that's throwing me completely <laughs> off my game. So you have to balance me out here. We can recap. I'll do seven and then we can recap real quick if you want. If in that way we can just make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Well, you know, we can do that and then we'll take a quick break to take it home. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, seven. I have Civil War, um, which we kind of already uh, touched on that a little bit. I just 
you know, I think again going back, just the the idea you had, you know, Avengers, which just from the casual fan standpoint, which brought all of the stars together, all the heroes together, and then to just the idea of civil war having, oh my gosh, now we have all these heroes and they're fighting each other. And what is from a casual fan like? Whoa, what is that? Like, what's the story around that? I remember being really intrigued, and that was one of the things that lured me into wanting to see the movies and 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 get caught up in it. So, ah, fair enough, Tim. Yeah, um, I I had that one slightly higher. I ha- I had it at number six, um, for pretty much some of the same reasons, and also taking a step back and now again looking at it from an entire infinity saga standpoint um, to see some of the little scenes um, that it's, that it sets up for other characters, you know, who, who would have thought sitting down watching, you know, some of the opening scenes of, of civil war um, where uh, Tony Stark is kind of introducing that new, you know, um, augmented reality, virtual reality setup program that we were really seeing Mysterio's, you know, introduction to the MCU in that film without even seeing him. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily the entire plan or not, but it was, it was a good way to kind of bring it back. Um, it sets up uh, what happens later on between uh, the conflict with uh, Tony and, and Steve. Um and and also leads us into a little bit more of the arc with uh, the Winter Soldier, and hopefully that'll get more fleshed out with Winter Soldier and Falcon. So, yeah, super excited to hear production is supposed to be picking back up on that real soon too. Yeah. So let's get one more break out of the way. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation on social media because we definitely want to interact with you. OchoDuroParleyHour.com has all the links. What is your thoughts about the MCU list thus far? Did Ryan say something so egregious? With having Captain America Winter Soldier so low. Let's have that conversation, folks. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend. Coming back for the final segment on this special edition of the ODPH podcast, recapping the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe with Ryan Bombard and Tim Skinner in tow. Now, we're going to recap 13 through 6 and jump in. So, Ryan, why don't you lead us off? 
Uh, I had 13 was Doctor Strange. Uh, 12 was Spider-Man Homecoming. 11, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, 10 was Thor Ragnarok. 9 was Black Panther. 8 was... I'm a soldier. And... <laughs> and seven, I had Captain America Civil War. Tim? I had at number 13, Captain Marvel. 12 was Thor Ragnarok. 11, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number 10, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 9, Black Panther. 8, Guardians of the Galaxy Number 1. And number 7, Captain America The First Avenger. And number 6, Captain America Civil War. All right, so for me, I had number 13 was Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, 12 and 11, the Guardians of the Galaxy series, 10 was Thor Ragnarok, 9, Captain America Civil War, 8, Spider-Man Far From Home, 7, Avengers Infinity War, and 6 was Captain America number 1. So I guess I just have my 6. Yes. You guys hit that earlier. So I 6, I have the Avengers. I have the original Avengers movie. Um I just remember this was, a, you know, this – I just remember there being a lot of buzz uh, and I had friends that I didn't know were into these kind of movies and stuff mm-hmm. just say, oh, my gosh, The Avengers is the best movie I've ever seen. Like – and I remember thinking like, whoa, like not just the best superhero movie or, or whatever. Like they were – no, it's it's it was so exciting. It was so amazing. And so, again, that kind of planted the seed for me um, and – yeah, I just uh, I I really liked all the character development. I love just that the uh, the the I'm trying to think of the word, just that idea of bringing all of the big names together for that kind of first time, and how just exciting that was. And I thought the movie, I thought it, the the whole movie, all of the writing, uh, I just thought it was very very well done. Now again, they were able to expand and and get better as they went on but again for that time at that time it i just thought it was amazing and it's got great rewatchability like i've i have seen that one a couple of times that would be one where it's like oh i need something to watch i'll put on the avengers movie tim your thoughts yeah um i i had uh the first avengers slightly higher for all the reasons that that ryan's uh pretty much stated um it's the first one where the band gets all together it's the first time where we see something like that even where you have a bunch of these standalone movies and then all the main heroes come together uh to to fight a villain um and that wonderful 360 shot you know if if there's anything that encapsulates the entire marvel universe it's that one shot where the camera just spins around on all of them um in the middle of the battle of new york um so i had it slightly higher um, but I, I, again, any of these choices right now at this point in the game are all interchangeable. <laughs> so, yeah, without question. I mean, for me, this was number three for all the reasons you said for, being a longtime comic fan and sticking through Marvel, through the clone saga of Spider-Man and chromane covers and just nineties comics, I guess we could just say to see the, uh-huh. the fact that we actually finally get the films we wanted and a cinematic shared universe and to see everybody finally get together and Joss Whedon just did it perfectly. It was everything you wanted to see from a comic book standpoint. It had the heart, it had the action, it had the big payoffs you wanted. And for me, like I just remember finally getting to the theater and seeing it and just having been blown away that like this is how comic movies should be. 
So for me, maybe it's a little more sentimental, but for it's number three on my list. So that being said, we are at number five, if I'm doing my math right. Sorry, I'm getting all choked up talking <laughs> Avengers. Uh, number five for me was Iron Man number one, the one that started it all. Um, it's more, you know, more of a throwback, so to speak. But honestly, if Iron Man one didn't take off, we would not have an MCU. Robert Downey Jr., remember, was not the biggest actor in Hollywood he was pretty much out of the business. He was coming off of a lot of personal demons and stuff too. Like everybody thought his career was yeah. over. Yeah. So Marvel yeah. Marvel gambled high on him, and I was. And if this film failed, Marvel was done. Like, could Could you imagine anyone else playing that character? No. Do you want to know the scary yeah. thing? Um, because you got to remember in the '90s, this was the talk. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Long yeah, rumored. Long rumored to be him. I know, like, I, it's nothing against Tom Cruise. I just couldn't see him playing it. So when they got Robert Downey to do it and to know how complex the character of Tony Stark is, and I know they didn't really touch a lot of the the personal dynamic that is Tony Stark. Like, you see the brilliant scientist. You, you see, you know, the engineer, just the, the futurist. But, I mean, they didn't go to the, the you know, the, the battle with alcoholism that he does and, and you know, just dealing with the armor wars too. I mean, there's so many different storylines that you can do and see how complex his character is instead of just being the cool, calm, you know, Tony Stark that we see on portrayal. But Downey Jr. brings a lot of that out in him. And you, you see that he's just not the straightforward superhero. And then he has to go through his own, you know, reinventing himself from his sins past. And I thought just they nailed it completely out of the park and, and they tied it enough that we weren't sure where they were going to go with this, but I left the theater going, man, this could be the start of something special. Yeah, I had it up at number three, and it's amazing to think that that was literally the first movie, and, and it still holds up. Yeah. Like, it still yeah. holds up. Like, I feel like we talked about Hulk. You can watch Hulk, and you see, like, all right, that's an older movie, in my opinion. But Iron Man, to this, I mean, besides the fact that Robert Downey Jr. looks really young in it, but it still holds up today. I think that is just a, a phenomenal movie. That's why I had it, you know, so high at number three. And again, as we kind of mentioned with Captain America, you know, Iron Man was literally the spark that started the fire. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And that's, that's also why I, I had it at number five as well. Um, it, it was the one that kicks off any, everything. Um, the wild part is if you want to hear a, a story, um, because now we're, uh, now we're used to the some of the tropes from Marvel movies. You know, we talked about some of the the origins and things like that. But um, I left Iron Man one, going, "Wow, what?" Like Robert Downey Jr. was perfectly cast. You know, especially given his own like his personal story, it was like, "Wow, if you're not if you're gonna find someone to be Tony Stark, it's probably Robert Downey Jr." And he just n- nailed it out of the park. But the funny story is I left Iron Man 1 <laughs> as the credits started. Like this was Oh, get the, out. This was the, before the era of like oh you had to sit around for uh you, you know the post credit scene. So I got out of there I was like, "Oh, that was great. That was great." And then one of my friends said, "Did you stick around till after the credits?" I'm like, "No. What what are you talking about?" <laughs> They're like Oh my gosh, you have to go back. Not like I wasn't planning on going back and seeing it like about eight times anyway. Right. But it was like, you got to go back. You've got to sit down. You've got to see this scene. And 
and I went back and I sat down and when Nick Fury popped out and was like, you were in a larger world, I went, oh my Lord, this, this is, this is going to really be something. So I, I, I had it at, at number five, just for that reason. It's the one that started it all. Um, really well done job. You could tell John Favaro knew his stuff about the character and um, could, could really uh, push, push that story forward. So right on. Yeah. Um, so, and basically I kind of mentioned it before uh, my number five is captain America. So it's interesting that we kind of interchange, you know, I interchanged iron man and, and captain America, but, but and I know we already talked about it, but I had, uh, Captain America at number five. So my number four, Avengers Endgame, and I will explain this because I know we, Ryan made a very good point about how Avengers Infinity War should be like the Empire and Endgame is Return of the Jedi. For me, it was the closure moments. It was the stuff that we've been building up for so long to get some payoff. I wasn't a big fan of the story, but the emotional kick-ins of seeing when Captain America picks up Mjolnir for the first time and you hear Cap on your left, and you start seeing all the heroes come back, and then Avengers assemble. Like for me, that's the fanboy moments that I marked out for, and like that movie just hits right then in the feels. So I, I have it probably higher than it should be, but like I say, for me, it's a perfect closure to the MCU. So that's why it's so high, even though they had completely an erratic plot that was all over the place and set up for multiple timelines, and that's why a lot of characters that were dead are going to be coming back. But I can get into that for another show. Thoughts on that? Yeah, go ahead, Tim. You go ahead. Uh, well, actually, I believe it, and and this kind of goes back to my n- nostalgia that we were kind of talking about earlier with Star Wars and stuff as well. Um, I had Avengers Endgame at number two. Okay, um, me too. Because uh, I I it just culminated everything. Uh, Cap picking getting Mjolnir uh, at the end was phenomenal and 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 all the little payoffs you know which again you know ryan you you had alluded to earlier after seeing that you felt you had to go back and watch some stuff you know even they even got little things like um uh wasp saying we're on it cap and she kind of looks at ant-man because in uh Mm -hmm. the ant-man and the wasp she kind of busts his chops about running around and he's like oh yeah well me and cap and she's like what he's (laughs) like oh yeah well that's what his friends call him is cap you know um even even stuff like that um really kind of uh it it just brought everything to such a good close um i i thought it was a perfect way to end both iron man and and captain america's uh storylines um i i wish they could be around forever but you know, obviously they, they can't, um, I, I just thought it was a good send off for both and, uh, set up a lot, uh, more stories in the future that didn't necessarily have to be as cap and Iron Man centric, which I'm going to miss. Uh, but, uh, it, it'll give some of these other heroes kind of that chance to have that spotlight too. Two words, fat Thor, Thorbowski. <laughs> Thorbowski, I love it. Yeah. Um, so here's the deal. I I absolutely loved it. It was a spectacle. Um, it, there's two things. There's mainly one thing that I'm really upset about, and I'm hoping it's not controversial. Hopefully I communicate well. 
during the and the fight scene was amazing. Like it gave gave you goosebumps. The whole the whole thing. There's so many aspects of it that are great. The one thing that I hated and it totally took me out of it was the female Avengers assemble scene. Um, I felt like that could have been you could have. I know what they were trying to accomplish. They could have done it with a little more subtlety. I felt like it. You know, here you have this gigantic battle and everybody's fighting it, but somehow all of the women were able to separate themselves from combat to be in the same place to all do something at the same time. And it totally I was almost angry about it because it took me out. Am I am I in the you guys see where I'm at? The part where Captain Marvel needs to get Yeah, 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 yeah. And all of the women, all of the women across the universe come to help her and it just seems so contrived and i know that they w- it wanted to be like kind of a female empowerment thing i just think it 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 hit you over the head like oh that's what this is and it made me think okay they just totally took me out where i think you could have achieved it with some more subtlety and you could have had the females you know even helping the males like doing different things and it could have just been more subtle like i felt having all like in my mind i'm literally like everybody's fighting hand to hand combat like all over this gigantic thing and it just so happens that all these females were able to break away at the same time and come together and have this little scene that was supposed to be like i, I don't know that just really i felt like that almost I don't want to say ruined the fight scene because it was an epic fight scene and then especially the ending. But just to me, that was like what you talk about, the formulaic Disney thing. Like that was just – that was putting, you know, women's empowerment on the end of a baseball bat and just pounding you on the head with it. See, for me, I didn't mind it as much because there is an A-Force comic and that is all the female members of the Avengers. So I figured they were giving a little nod to them. And maybe tiptoeing about doing something like that as a future, like spinoff, like kind of doing a little tease. So I, it didn't take me out of it as much. So I, I didn't really have an issue with it personally. Like, but I, I see your point though. Like, cause it just kind of seemed that it was forced and sudden and just kind of like, where is this all coming from? I just took it as it was an homage to a force. Okay. So, but like I said, that's a comic thing that unless you really read the comics, you wouldn't know about. So Tim. Yeah, and I, I, I've heard both. I, I've, I've heard cri- critics actually say the same thing, going like, "Oh, that scene feels shoehorned in," um, but but I also get like the little nod to the A Force comics. Um, it, it didn't really take it out for me, um, much like still trying to spot Howard the Duck in the middle of that battle. <laughs> Um, didn't take it out for me. It was just another thing to kind of look for and, and find, um, which I still haven't found Howard the Duck. I I hear he's still in there, but oh, he he um, he's in there. That that's such an homage to the Secret Invasion comic because the artist used to draw him in big fight scenes just to tick uh, Brian Michael Bendis off. <laughs> like Bendis would always talk about, it. he's like, I don't write him in. He goes, uh, I think it was Lynn Francis. You uh, put just keeps putting him in just to right. just to do it. So. But, yeah, I mean, I, I could see the point, though, because, I mean, it, it was kind of just like uh, just a real quick scene and kind of forced. But, like I say, I took it just more as – Or they could have had it. It could just could have been set up better. Yeah. It the, just the seemed like – it was almost like it seemed like after the movie they had the scene all done and then they're always like, oh, we got to go back. We got to do this. Like 
we need to add this in there. And it, like you use the great word, Tim, like shoehorned. It, it just felt shoehorned in when I felt like you could have done it so much better. I felt like it was it was lazy, to be honest with you. Well, you know, it, it can be looked at that because if you think about it for how long this movie was, I mean, they wanted to cram everything in and leave nothing left on the table. So I'm sure they probably thought about a couple different scenes and tried making them work. And, you know, like I said, this one definitely has got a little debate to it. And, you know, nothing wrong with that either. And then the only other yeah. thing, and I'd love your perspective, Tim, because you're such a Captain America fan. I don't know what it was. My first instinct when, when Cap at the end, they reveal that he's the old man and he got to go back and basically live his life essentially – uh, the mm-hmm. life that he wanted and all that. For some reason, it felt anticlimactic. Like I just kind of felt like, oh, that's how he's ending. See, see for me, for me, it, it felt like okay. They, they've, uh, they, I, I, I thought it was a good ending because again, it, it harkens back. If you go back and watch, especially with Avengers One, where uh, Tony Stark and and uh, Steve Rogers, uh, Steve Rogers is kind of saying to tony stark that hey you're you're not the guy who's gonna you know uh basically lay over the wire and let the other guys crawl up over and tony stark's like yeah you're just some star-spangled patriotic soldier boy you know get a life um how over the saga both characters uh become just that they learn how to, because of their interaction with one another, they learn how to um, become, uh, have that side of them open up. Like Cap finally starts to let his guard down a little bit and starts to ask questions. Tony Stark learns to become less selfish over time um, and and more selfless. And I, I think that that's where the ending for both of them just mesh so well like you have uh the unexpected right you you think of course captain america and they and they um and and uh ken i don't know if we we touched on this or not with the infinity gauntlet uh, comic but there is a scene in the infinity gauntlet comic book where cap kind of confronts thanos and he realizes he, he really doesn't have the power, but he's just going to stand up anyway. Yep, the iconic speech. And and he gives the iconic speech and then snap and he's and he's gone. Um, I like how they went the different route with this and kind of, you know, th- did the unexpected. Like you expect Captain America to kind of go out in the battle in the blaze of glory, sacrificing himself. Um, you expect Tony Stark to kind of walk away with his family a little happily ever after. Um, but to have those roles switch, um, I thought was a really interesting dynamic um, to a boat. A, a little nerky, a little plot hole with uh, with Civil War and the odd, you know, uh, Cap making out with, um, with the niece later on. I'm <laughs> sure, you know, ha, the, the, that wonderful YouTube channel, how it should have ended, I think really covered that one quite well. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, yeah, that's, 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 that's a weird thing in the comics and, and yep. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. But, but it is, it, uh, I, I, I think with the movie, it, it is what it is. And I, I kind of enjoyed that send off like cap gets the happily ever after and, and Tony Stark, 
is uh, also kind of gets his glorious ending with goes um, out on his shield metaphorically, like yes, fitting, yeah. yeah. For- I, and, and ending with the words that he ended Iron Man one with, "I am Iron Man," you know. So I, I thought it was a good bookend myself. I think they just had too many plot holes that they can definitely bring characters back. And I think that that's the one setup. So, like, I, I think while Cap has the happy ending now, I think somebody's going to screw something up, probably Loki in the um, Disney Plus series, and retcon everything. So, well, we'll kind of have to wait to see. I mean, that's the one thing when they started going dabbling in time. And plus, I have a, I have a strong thing that you really trying to tell me Cap stayed hidden for 60-plus years and nobody figured out that he was back in time? Yeah, see, yeah, that's well, where, and maybe that's where I kind of disconnected a little bit. Yeah, like, I know I'm, like, the more I was, like, on the rewatches, I'm picking up stuff like that, so I have to, like, pick and choose where I'm thinking. But, like, I'm like, yeah, you're going to try to tell me he was all quiet and, and nobody realized, oh, Steve Rogers is here in 1950s and 60s, and, yeah, I digress. Well, I, I'm I'm almost wondering, though, I'm, I'm and I'm glad you, that you mentioned it uh, that way, because in the comics, I... Uh, there, there was kind of that hole too, where they did do Captain America comics in the 1950s, mm-hmm. even though it had kind kind of died off. Um, when Stan Lee brings back Captain America and kind of in a way Bucky um, in the 1960s with the Avengers comics, um, it brings up a new villain, like the Cap of the 1950s. Um, could that be an avenue that they go with? You know, I know they're kind of hinting with that a little with like U.S. agent coming up in Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's possible. It it could be a possibility where they have this like false cap. They're they're still working on the super soldier serum, you know, and they have this one guy go rogue. And people just think from there on out, oh, that's the cap from the 1950s. Who, Who knows? Yeah, it, it, there's so much with the Cap history that goes outside of Steve Rogers that I it could be a plot hole that they want to examine. I know for uh, the show they're going to be doing the the U.S. Agent story, which I'm not a fan of that character, so I'm waiting to see how this kind of goes on screen. But it's a possibility. But that's the one thing that I think is a negative of Endgame is they left way too many, well, we can just say explain X happened because of Y and just all the time jumping. Because it's like anybody has learned time travel, you mess with the timeline in any way, shape, or form, things happen. Yep. So, All right, so that was my number four. So, uh, My number four, I have Guardians of the Galaxy, and, and we touched on it before. I just – I adored that movie. Like just a fun – and I feel like I could watch that movie over and over again. Um, yeah, that's, we've kind of touched on it already, but I, I – I love that movie, and that's why I was so surprised that it was. Because I also thought it was kind of a cult. You know, I always got the impression that the comic book fans liked it because it was an underdog and that it actually got a lot of critical acclaim mm-hmm. and got mainstream attention. Uh, that was just my impression. Without knowing anything about the comics, I always felt like it was this kind of side story that was going to be an also-ran, and it ended up being so critically acclaimed. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Guardians is just from their incarnation to now, it, they've gone through their definite phases. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to really describe and see because, like, when Jim Valentino was writing them in the 90s and, and really kind of going off uh, in that storyline, like, that's the version, that team you see as the Sylvester Stallone team. 
at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, it's kind of weird to see that this incarnation, which I said, Abnett and Landing, when they were writing them in the, and brought them back from like obscurity, because I after the Valentino run, they they really kind of just fell off, and they're always kind of treated as side characters. And then Abnett and Landing's run really reinvented the team, and they really were doing some great work with it. So to see them get you know the exposure, and then that was the team we saw. I think was just really phenomenal to see, and I think it really connected to fans because they really were like the band of misfit toys. And to see them get their shine, I, I th- it was a surprise hit for everybody. And I think for Marvel, too, because I don't think they realized this kind of gave them the idea they could make anything. Because, like I say, we live in a yeah. world that Ant-Man is a franchise. <laughs> yeah. And and, and I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Is, and, and that's why I could see Guardians being up there is is because it, it does uh, open that door. I mean, we're going to get Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings like who would who would have thought that would have happened i'll be honest with you i thought the wilder pick for me and i'm blown away that this is going to be a franchise and this is like for me the biggest question mark of the mcu is eternals yes i i don't ask me how i i've never known the appeal from them like i i've tried reading them and i mean it's like greek gods meet space odyssey wasn't did i see somewhere didn't spider-man Coming back into the MCU, didn't that push? Because what didn't the Eternals movie? Wasn't there supposed to be an Eternals movie? There is. It's it's but, but, but it was supposed to be before Infinity War and Endgame. And then I thought that basically when Spider Man came back and they were going to do Homecoming, that bumped the inter- the Eternals movie uh, basically to be TBD. I'll be honest. I, I'm not 100% sure because I, I at that point they think they were talking the Inhumans movie too. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. That's okay. what I'm okay. thinking. All right, my and, bad. See, this is, I'm, I'm, I should just keep my mouth shut. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, this, no. This, it's it's perfect. It, oh, go, Tim. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. It, 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 they wound up turning the Inhumans into a, into a television series. And I use that term light, lightly. Yes. It's bad. But I just got yes. that mixed up because that's right. The Inhumans—they were supposed to have their own movie. Well, yeah, because because the quick story, short story about that is, I mean, they've always been an obscure team, uh, mostly coming out of the Fantastic Four family uh, comics. And then when Marvel did not have the license for the X Men, they were like super trying to push them. Think about it when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left the NWO or WWE, and they came out with Fake Diesel and Fake Razor. <laughs> okay. And they were yeah. really trying to push them, even though like. The wrestlers were actually really good. Uh, not so much. The characters just didn't really connect. The same thing can be said for Inhumans. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'm probably being really critical of the characters because some of the books are really, actually really good because um, it's, it's kind of it's like tried borrowing a little bit from like Game of Thrones and, and how they've been written more so lately. But the, the show, man, the show. Yeah. Ugh. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's, you can watch it on Disney Plus if you really want to just torture yourself. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Like I, I I actually watched every episode and I'm like, okay, now my benchmark is set. <laughs> I I'm sorry, like they, they completely botched that up in my opinion, but and that was gonna be the movie too, so Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> All right. All right, what number are we at? <laughs> I gave my four was Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, so Tim? Um, my my four and we've touched base on it already was Avengers one. Okay, and that was my number three as well. So we'll swing it back to you, Ryan. You're number three, and we touched on it too. This might be quick because I mine was Iron Man uh, for number three. Fair enough. I mean, the one that kicked everything off. 
Tim, you're number three. We're kind of going lightning round now because right. we've, we've talked my, so much about the other ones. Yeah. Mine was Avengers Infinity War. Um, I, I, I put that just under Avengers Endgame because uh, much like Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, just like being a good little kid, um, I enjoyed Return of the Jedi and Endgame more, although I really love the other two. So, so Infinity War is my number three. All right, so is it back to me then, I assume? And then my number two is Black Panther. Um, the greatness that is Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger and everything that they did in that film. Perfect. Yeah, yeah it was another one. Your, your impassioned uh, description of your love for that movie definitely raised it. I, if I would go back, I would I'd definitely raise it up in my list now. You know, we'll have to get a blog after you do a rewatch. I'll, I'll, put, it, I'll put it on parlay points. I will definitely do that. Of Ryan, Ryan has learned his lesson. <laughs> I will rewatch and then I will, I will, I will make right. Yes. It is, it is Ryan's Marvel culpa. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, you can find that at OchoDuroParleyR.com this summer. <laughs> All right, so you're number two. Mine? I have I have Endgame 2. Okay. I mean, Endgame, what can you say that we haven't already just said? I mean, it's just it's a perfect bookend to the story, but it's got its flaws. Um, Tim, you're number two? Uh, same, Endgame. So number one, Tim and I both had Captain America Winter Soldier. So, Ryan, you said yours was Infinity War. So we have taken the journey through the MCU. So looking back at it, any picks really stand out? As I mean, well, we, we kind of said you, you having Winter Soldier so low is kind of the curveball of all curveballs. Yeah. But looking back and, and hearing about it, like what do you think is, is the takeaway from the MCU? Like, let me let me close with that here. Well, I think, and we were kind of touching on it. Uh, I don't know if that was on. That might have been uh, off, off the books. Um, that's right. Ah, um, love the beat nuts. But I actually am surprised you two are so knowledgeable and so in depth have been involved with this for so long. And I'm literally like so late to the party and the casual fan and minus a couple like like obviously uh, Winter Soldier is the big one. But really, we had a lot kind of within a couple of spots and we even had somewhere, uh, you know, I had the same as you guys. And I felt like it wasn't nearly as drastic as I thought it was going to be. I still got a great education. Like, it's great hearing your guys's um, basically coming from being comics fans, knowing the backstories, knowing the difference between the comics and what they did in the movies and things like that. But that's what is so interesting. I think that talks, I think that lends to how great of a movie franchise these were. The fact that a casual fan can really get similar similar from the movies and from the franchises to people that are vets that know so many of the details and the backstories and things like that. So Tim, final thoughts on the MCU. Um, yeah, I, boy, it has been a, a wonderful, glorious ride um, from Iron Man one all the way through. Um, I'm looking forward to the next couple of phases. Um, Hoping uh, they bring in uh, the X Men, the Fantastic Four, um, and uh, really excited to see uh, the next round of stories that they get to tell. And and again, it talks to the strength of um, to piggyback off Ryan was saying. Um, it it touches it touches on the strength of the movies to have both casual and hardcore fans um, 
pretty much in, enjoy and are able to pick up on and follow the stories. Um, it, it, it's just really wonderful to see. And it, it's been awesome uh, to witness because as, as a comic book fan, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, this is this is what you dreamt of. Um, unfortunately, you got like a t- really terrible Captain America movie um, and yeah. a really terrible Dolph Lundgren uh, Punisher movie. Um, then things kind of started to get a little bit better as we went. But, I mean, it just really awesome to see what they've done with it and, you know, looking forward to, to the next next round. So, Seeing where this all began, you really get a sense of appreciation for what Marvel did. And from 2008 to now, they've literally set the benchmark for doing a shared comic universe and even expanding on, you know, the canon shows as they're being considered now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Runaway, Cloak and Dagger, and the Netflix universe of Jessica Jones, Daredevil, uh, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, and the Defenders, to where they're going to be heading now that we're going to be seeing shows pop up on Disney+, Plus like Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight. The list is going on and on and on. Trust me, I could keep going if you all want. But to see the legacy that they have established, and now that we know the different phases are coming, we're seeing Shang-Chi, Black Widow, Eternals, and then Blade is coming as well, too, at some point. And now we're going to see the return home of the X-Men and Fantastic Four. It's really a great time to sit back and appreciate what has been set forth, and the and the benchmark is set pretty high. Marvel hasn't really failed us yet. I mean, we've given you a lot of comparison from a lot of different eyes about why this universe works and why it doesn't, and where it's going in the future. And for what they've established, you just have to sit back and appreciate it as a fan. They've given you so many different memories, and you can hear so many different reactions talking about the same film. Like I say, not everybody had the same same list, but everybody had the same appreciation, and that's what you really want as fans moving forward. So that being said, we can't wait to see Black Widow come out and kick off the next phase of the MCU, hopefully in theaters, hopefully we're all in attendance later this year. And don't bother me tonight. I'll be watching Winter Soldier. Yes. <laughs> Trust me, we, we will not be bothering you about that. That being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is that of Shout at the Robots. So we're going to do a double play of Shout because I know that they are huge, huge, huge MCU fans. Where do you find out more about Shout at the Robots? Head on over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com and check out the music section. You can check out everything going on with Shout. You can check out everything going on with Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Floodlands, Fair City Fire. The list goes on and on and on. Also at the OchoDuroParleyHour.com website, you can also check out the ODPH directory. You can check out everything going on with our good friend Johnny Moose, who I'm sure will be chiming in with his own list of the MCU. Uh, sooner or later and everything going on with his brand of Excite Wrestling. You also know, check out our good friend Tom Craven over at Off The Cuff Gaming currently working on the Final Fantasy 7 remake. He definitely wants to get in that chat and we have to give a shout out to all our friends in the podcasting community. You can check out the Pod Chaser list for Pod Nation, the Legion Independent Podcast, Alternate Reality Radio, the Apocalypse Community and Hashtag 607 Podcast with our friends over at 8122productions.com and that's Rich Ron and Hashtag Big Natty Cool Diesel, which it I, I can't even talk about their Patreon, really. You hear it each week. I say I would love to advertise about Love is Scary. I can't talk about it behind a paywall. Or not behind a paywall. But if you want to get behind a paywall and hear everything that's going on with I Love Movies, Love is Scary, and the early editions of everything they got cooking over at the 3FN Network, head on over to patreon.com slash 8122productions, and you can check it out yourself. All that and more on com. I need to thank my guests. Thank you. 
Professor Tim Skinner for joining us on the show. Your MCU knowledge is always, always appreciated and welcome to come back anytime. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. We'll do it again real soon. Definitely have to. And I have to thank my good friend Ryan Bombard for coming up with the idea of talking MCU. And he has his homework assignment tonight, <laughs> folks. I appreciate it. It was great to be back here for a second time. And uh, I hope to, you know, maybe at some point come back and talk some baseball. Anytime you guys want to come back on, all you got to do is hit up the bat phone. And we'll make that happen. I know, I know I'm sharing universes. I don't care. It's my show. <laughs> my name is Ken. I'm the host of the ODPH. And I thank you for listening. As always, we'll see you next time. 